0: So last week, Chris, we were talking about possible time cops with Nick Redfern about the MIB being an agency in the future that returns through time. And this is a TV show, by the way, and a movie. They go back through time to fix damage to the time stream, straighten things out, except you can fix the damage in terms of people and objects, but not memories. You can't change the memories. So you remember something that happened to you, and nobody else has any evidence of it. Like, of course, mentioning in last week's show this picture of the Thunderbird that can't be found. And I have a specific instance here where my late father's will is being read by my brother, who was quite a wealthy man. He's no longer with us, but he was quite wealthy in his latter years. And he says that when my father died, he was going to put a sum of money away for my son. Not a lot of money, a small amount of money that would be in a zero-coupon bond. Now, I could supposedly, and some listeners will go along with me here, say, well, maybe one of the other relatives decided to steal that money. It wasn't enough. We're talking about a small sum of money here for my son's education. Several years later, when it came to the time for this instrument to mature, nobody remembered this meeting. There's no record of it. Oh, There's nothing God, in the will that, that anybody happens. could find that indicates <laughs> that my father left this sum for my son and my son's education. Well, I'm managed. not sure if this is a good uh, example of, uh, of your theory here. but Of course, the sarcastic theory is that my nephews or my brother's widow, when he died, decided to take that money. It wasn't enough for anyone to care about. Except it would provide a little bit of help for my son. That's it.
1: Well, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is, uh, you know, the best example. I think the Thunderbird uh, photograph
0: example uh, yeah. is what I'm saying is really here is maybe something in the time stream is changed, but it affects auxiliary events, even if they're not totally related. I, I mean, I if you the do theory, something sure. that damages the stream of time, okay, you would perform some kind of action now. The time cops come back, the men, MIB, the time cops, whatever they are, go back in time. They reverse the action. But can they possibly reverse the consequences of the action? People's memories that may be involving totally unrelated events. It's very complicated. Well, it, it,
1: it is very complicated. And, of course, we have to suspend our disbelief in terms of you know really going with this hypothesis first of all you need to have some sort of time travel technology which of course we know is is not you know a scientifically accepted uh you know possibility at this point it might be a possibility but it's it's highly remote of course there are some some people uh in the more conspiracy conspiratorial realms that think that the u.s government has stargates and and time machines and And they're working side by side with aliens and secret underground bases, but I mean, this all sounds great in a kind of a science fiction sort of context or motif. But when when it really push comes to shove, we don't we we have zero evidence uh, to support this type of scenario, and we actually have a lot of evidence that refutes it uh, in terms of the actual physics that would that would need to be uh, you know utilized to make these types of things a reality so you know we don't know what the level of our our government's technology is or or other government's technology We, we don't know what capabilities uh humans have in regards to accessing wormholes folding space and and time traveling that sort of thing so i think it all you know is very
0: intriguing but for for the majority of our listeners i think it's it's a it's a bit of a tough sell Also, we have to be aware of the fact that we're talking about science in the early part of the 21st century. What's going to happen a couple of hundred years from now? What will they know? And then if we want to be cynical about it, okay, my nephew's or my late brother's widow decided that my son didn't need that few thousand dollars for his education, and so they borrowed it. Well, I mean, if it was set up in
1: a trust or, or some sort of, you know, Entity, uh, financial instrument, then they, they must be very uh, uh, creative
0: uh, to be able to have access to it. My brother, Wallace Herbert Steinberg, if you want to look him up on Google, he might still be there. He was an investment banker specializing in the healthcare industry, and his two oldest sons worked for him, meaning, of course, that they understood financial instruments and manipulation of money. Okay, so let's just let that drop. Okay. Okay.
1: But it that, would seemed- be my, that would be the, the logical sort of Occam's razor,
0: uh, I think, answer. Or maybe I didn't remember it right. But my wife was there with me. She remembered it too. What can I say? I can't talk about you my know. son because when my father died, my son was two years of age. So he has no remembrance of it. He was probably there, but I don't think he would have anything to report. You know, one of the most interesting threads in our forums for the past few weeks Since we had Joshua Shapiro to talk about the crystal skull, that thread about that show has gone on and on, even as we've mentioned it each and every week. But the biggest thing about it, of course, is if we're going to seriously look at crystal skull lore, is that particular guest the person to go to? Is he the expert with the evidence And the only thing that bothered me, as I've said before on the show, the thing that bothered me is he expects scientists to disprove all this mysticism about crystal skulls, not for the people who believe something is happening, they're communicating with the skulls, they're getting messages from them, whatever mystical properties there are, it's up to them to prove it. Now, since that show, because there's so much interest you and I feel that it's necessary to continue to discuss it and see where the truth may lie. But you went out to seek a different sort of guest, someone who had more evidence to present.
1: Yes. Well, I, I, um, our you know today's uh, show is, uh, I think, going to be more of a middle-of-the-road um, approach. Uh, St- Stephen Mailer has been involved in researching these very enigmatic objects for decades. And um, there has been um, some snitting on the thread about his mentor, F.R. Nick Serino, who was widely considered to be the most knowledgeable person that we we had to, to, to go to about crystal skulls. In fact, I, that was the first call I made uh, once I found out who the top person, you know, who Nick Serino was considered the top person. So, of course, that would be my first phone call about the San Luis Valley skull uh, that was found, which ended up being a hoax and a glass skull. But one of the things that, uh, that Stephen... Uh, he was involved in a documentary project that I helped co-produce, and I was very taken with his um, depth of, of knowledge. His, um, you know, I, I think he's a much more objective uh, person when it comes to viewing this this whole subject. And I think today's show is 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 a good follow up to uh, to Joshua's appearance because Joshua comes, I think, from more from a true believer standpoint whereas Stephen is i think uh, a lot more middle of the road about it so this is going to be a very interesting show and i i hope it'll it'll help uh re-educate folks about what we know about these very
0: uh, enigmatic objects you see that's one of the problems when you get into things like this where people report unusual experiences or just people who say i saw a ghost here's what happened you know getting the evidence to prove anything but anecdotal testimony is difficult because you have to decide okay If they did have an experience of some sort, does it originate internally? Did they imagine it? Do they have some kind of problem? I mean, on last week's show, when Nick Redfern was talking about Albert K. Bender, Albert K. Bender, perhaps, his three men in black emerged from being contacted by the FBI and then confabulating a lot more, frightened him to death. And suddenly he comes up with this elaborate story of being contacted by ET-based men in black. But maybe there was a core of reality, but he was so traumatized by it that that reality became something far more than the original experience. And we have to wonder about some paranormal events. And that's the big problem. How do we get to the core of the event? How do we find out if there is a core reality, if it's an external reality the quest goes on. Stephen Mailer coming on the Paracast. Okay, so who is watching your home when you're not there? Help protect your home with a security system monitored by ADT. It's the leader in home security. Remember, ADT is a number one monitoring service in the country. It comes with world-famous ADT yard signs. The monitoring cost is just $1 a day. You probably pay more for coffee. This is the safety for your family and your possessions. You can save up to 20% on homeowner's insurance. Just call Protect Your Home, your authorized ADT dealer. Call now and get $850 of equipment and activation free. Call 1-866-778-3127. Call 1-866-778-3127. And here's our fast disclaimer $99 installation charge, 36 month monitoring agreement at $35 to $39 per month. Call for terms and conditions and license
2: numbers. As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to protect your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They both have maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them until now, your cash would have the buying power of only $4,800, but your gold and silver would have the buying power of... $3 $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call John Ballman today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth a zero. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. You've heard a lot lately
3: about Zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout zeoking flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke cell phones and chemicals so it detoxifies heavy metals including mercury lead and cadmium zeoking zeolite helps boost your immune system allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites order your zeoking zeolite now from zeoking.com for only 39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order call 888-402-6779 that's 888 888- 84026779 or visit zeoking.com that's zeoking.com for natural elimination of radiation
4: poisoning.
5: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you.
6: If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Welcome back to the Paracast, and uh, welcome Stephen Mailer. It's really good to have you aboard uh, for your first appearance here at the Paracast, and I'm looking forward to a good uh, a good, enlightening conversation.
7: Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here talking to you.
1: Yeah, it was good seeing you back in December, too. Uh, we'll get into why you were here. There's a new, uh, quite an impressive skull that has surfaced uh in a collection and uh we'll we'll cover that that a little later oh it was in march okay right um we'll we'll cover that a little bit later but first of all why don't you give our listeners uh some background on you how you got involved in in crystal skulls and how your your thinking about them has evolved over the years um give us a kind of a thumbnail sketch of your uh of your history in this subject
7: Sure, uh, my actual uh, background and approach to it is is being that I am a uh, credentialed archaeologist. Uh, I have a couple of degrees I've, I've trained in the science, in the sciences, but when I was a graduate student, I really fell in love with archaeology my, my basic interest, as you know, and listeners will find out if they google me is ancient egypt I've been studying ancient Egypt for over forty three years actually goes back to when I was about eight years old.
0: So you so knew Tauus up front and personal yes. <laughs> It goes back to like the summer
7: of 1974. I was uh, fortunately
0: able to work on an archaeological
7: excavation in the south of France. Uh, I worked for one of the world's leading prehistorians, Professor Francois Borde of the University of Bordeaux. And he taught me basic archaeology and field geology as well, because he was a geologist. And geology is an important background for the work that I do. So to come down to the point, I had a background in, in archaeology already. I, be, I went to work for the Rosicrucian Order, A M O R C, which stands for Ancient Mystical Order Rosicrucis. I became a staff research scientist for the Rosicrucian Order, did lots of work in parapsychology and the paranormal, and it was in my capac- capacity as a staff research scientist that we were contacted in the Rosicrucian Order in 1979 by a gentleman in San Jose, California, the, the Rosicrucian Order is in San Jose, uh, that he had an object that he was willing for us to investigate, That he would like for us perhaps to uh, even exhibit in the Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum, et cetera, et cetera. So I was shown some photographs in November of 1979, and that was my first experience. What what became later to be known as the Mayan Crystal Skull, we convinced this individual to actually bring the skull in in January of 1980, and we worked on it in the uh, Rosicrucian Research Lab. So my approach, Chris, has been scientific, although I move in both fields. As saying that I work for the Rosicrucians so that I have a background in physics and metaphysics and science and the paranormal. And so that's the only way really that these subject, these objects can be approached. But I basically start my work with a crystal skull as an archaeologist looking at it as a possible ancient artifact and go from there.
1: Well, we're going to get into uh, how, how we tell the difference and the problems that we have uh, with modern diagnostic science in terms of examining these artifacts. Why don't you give us a background in, on, on some of your early research into the subject and, and give us a sense of how, as a scientist, this whole subject captivated you.
7: As I said now, you know, it starts January of 1980. So we're looking at now uh, 31 years, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. I was yeah. fortunate in that I was trained by the two I would consider giants in the field of research. First man, Dr. Marcel J. Vogel, who was a senior chemist, scientist at IBM, also an outstanding Rosicrucian. And the man we'll mention many times this evening, F.R. Nick Noserino. Mr. Noserino was the first person to ever get a credential teaching degree in California in parapsychology. He had a background in Wicca, uh, in crystals. He was the dean, I say, of crystal skull research. So... Fortunately, I got to work with two great men who taught me a lot and how to approach this subject a both scientific and metaphysical approach. Both of them passed away. Uh, it just happened to be a matter of default that I'm now one of the senior researchers in the field. So it began in January of 1980. This crystal skull was brought in. I examined it as an artifact. It represented nothing I'd ever seen before, never having witnessed anything carved out of crystal like that. And then we called in uh, Marcel Vogel, and I learned a lot from Marcel Vogel. Basically, Marcel Vogel has said, we did a lot of research. Now, what we did in the Rosicrucian Research Lab is we did what was called psychometry. Now, psychometry was basically invented in the modern era by Professor J.B. Ryan at Duke University. He's considered to be the father of modern parapsychology. Uh, he began these tests where what we're doing with a crystal skull. Because these items have dubious what we call provenance, which means their actual history, from whether they were excavated from a, from a tomb or where they were found, there's very little documented evidence because these items that we'll go into detail about what we call ancient crystal skulls that may have come out of Mayan tombs and other tombs are coming from unofficial excavation that are not reported. So therefore, there's not documentation. So here's where science falls short. We have what we call in archaeology provenance. What does provenance mean? It means you trace an artifact from when it is discovered when it is uncovered in an archaeological excavation through what's called its chain of custody, how it moves, who documents it, how it's traveling, what museum it works, goes to, or what scientists work on it. So it's a chain of custody where its movement is tracked. Well, we have none of that with these crystal skulls, except one, which I'll talk about later, Nick Nocerino's own skull. We have providence on that one. But still, that's not official, so there's no documentation. So therefore, we can't go to official historical records and find out when these things were excavated, what archaeologists may have thought of them, et cetera, et cetera. We have to go with what we call as an unknown. Therefore, we do not know the history of this object. The only way that we can work on this is through metaphysical work, through what we call psychometry, with someone who claims to have a degree of sensitivity. Now, when I worked for the Rosicrucian order, we never used the word psychic. We loathed that term. Why? Because psychic implies Oh, this person is psychic and this one is not. So someone who's psychic has a special gift. Now, we prefer to use the word sensitive, a word that we all can relate to. We're all sensitive. The people who claim to be professional at it or are really gifted at it have utilized these talents all their lives, have enforced them, reinforced them. So therefore, they have these extrasensory ability, which we call highly sensitive. But we don't differentiate between everyone else. We all have this sensitivity. So we had actually people who were registered with the Rosicrucian Order with having proven scientific documentation of a degree of sensitivity. We brought them in, we did psychometry with this skull. We had no one present at any of the else's session, so there was no pollution. These sessions were recorded, video recorded, audio recorded. There were also do- a questionnaire was filled out by every person afterward. What we would then do is compare the results of these tests to see if what we could call are statistically significant events. What does that mean? Well, anything that's usually above 50%, better about 60% or 70%, what we call hit, accuracy rate, cannot be attributed to mere chance. So there's some degree of scientific relevance there. So if someone, for example, when we work with the first skull, the Mayan crystal skull, and it was named so by Nick Noserino, who actually was the one who arranged for this skull to be brought into the States. I can go into more detail about that. Uh, A lot of his students working with the skull saw a Mayan scene to it, scene of the Maya, Mayan temples, Mayan uh, tombs. So therefore he called it the Mayan crystal skull.
1: Are these sensitive, Stephen, or is this just average people that that would? Oh see no,
7: this? Nick Nocerino worked with highly trained sensitive. That he trained himself. Okay, he was a master of masters. Nick Nocerino was called a teacher of teachers because a lot of Nick Nocerino students went on to become crystal students themselves, like Dale Walker, one of Chris. Uh, those serenos, top students, who wrote a book himself called the Crystal Book. Which is I'll a tell you summer. what,
0: we have to pursue this in our next segment. Stephen Mailer joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in the Paracast.
8: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares.
9: Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver, the best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with you, Hindi and Super Fem Plex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 cap summer sale priced at only $12.00 colon answer, 250 caps summer sale priced at just 18 dollars. and if your brain's a little foggy we have a great supplement on sale called memory power log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at herbalhealer.com as always new customers get a free catalog with first order herbal healer academy healing the world with nature one person at a time
10: If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with PrePass. Bypass way stations, fly by port of entry facilities, stay moving at highway speed while the guy without PrePass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try PrePass free. That's 888 401
12: The American people think they live in a constitutional republic, land of the free, home of the brave, right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number one 877 877-457-9009. That's 877 457 9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works.
5: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio
11: Network. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia
0: and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. We're back. Stephen Mailer's our guest and we're studying the crystal skulls from a far more scientific standpoint than previously. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. Stephen, just a quick question before we get into the nuts and bolts here. And that is, there are people who listen to the Paracast who will accept and understand what you say. But other people are going to wonder about these sensitives and how we go about validating what they do. What's the process?
7: Excellent question. And let's just, let's just discuss the subject again, maybe for those who say that they're totally ignorant. But we're talking about crystal skull. We're talking about an object made out of rock quartz crystal and many different types we've seen, them: amethyst, citrine, smoky quartz, but predominantly rock quartz, quartz crystal, either smoky or clear, that are carved into a skull by who? Modern peoples and ancient peoples, and we'll discuss the difference of that. It has to do with the understanding of quartz crystal itself. A whole discussion could go on tonight with the properties of quartz. Why did they use quartz? We'll discuss that. But to answer this general question, so what we would do then is have people hold the skull, work with the skull. Now, there's different weight. There's actually a physical way, which is called scrying which is an ancient term. You can't even find it in a dictionary anymore. What it's called is crystal gazing. This is something that's been gone off for centuries and centuries again in the so-called metaphysical paranormal field. I
0: think you're going two steps to have what I'm saying. The person who is a judge to be a sensitive, okay, so he's someone who's getting far more than 50% accuracy in demonstrating some kind of psychic ability, right? Okay, how you would test someone. Well, here's the problem. The problem is, of course, that we have people who understand this. We have people who will say, okay, if they're so sensitive, contact the amazing Randy and get his million dollars, if you know what I mean.
7: Exactly. They so say it's 10000 but you're right. Uh, I think it's up actually, to a
0: million now, or maybe actually, they've changed actually, it. Yeah, he, he has, put it up to a million. they actually
7: denied testing people who could win the money, so it hasn't been exactly an honest thing. But let's say that. Okay, say that you come to me and you say you're highly sensitive. Now, how am I going to know that? Well, we'll test you. How we test you in the laboratory is with unknowns with an object that we know the history of. We, show, we give you the object, you hold the object, you try to tune with the object, how a person does psychometry, is try to clear their mind, relax their thoughts, and get impressions from vibrations from the object. Now this may sound too far out from people, but let's look at it to a scientific basis. Then the person will say what they get. Do they see a, s- a historical scene? Do they get names? Do they get an object, Who person who owns this object? We write these things down, we record them. We then compare it, to the known history how accurate was this person anybody that's over 50 percent it's considered to be not statistically it can be just by chance it's relevant but when someone who is classically a uh, gifted sensitive it would be 75 to 80 percent accuracy that's recorded you do it with another known you get this person if there's several different objects if they continue that level of ac- accuracy we consider them to be highly degree sensitive and that's someone who would be on uh, call. Nick Nocerino had these people in his, a group called the Society of Crystal Skulls International that he had personally trained. We had people on call with the Rosicrucian order who were known to be this, sentence. So in other words, they had been tested with known. So they had come out with a high degree of accuracy. This is considered to be scientifically, statistically relevant. So therefore, that's how we develop a, a degree of the field of parapsychology. That's how J.B. Ryan did it. That's how everybody has done it since the 30s when this started. There are people who want to say this is not science. That's their opinion. In my opinion, it is metaphysical. Science is the same as physical.
0: Okay, let's pursue this a little bit further. Yeah. Okay, so these people who've been adjudged to have this sensitivity, they are given access to the skulls. Do they touch them? Do they look at them? Do they meditate? What do they do?
7: All of the above, and we also include anybody who comes would want to come off the street and do that. So, in other words, we're not just including your so-called known accurate sensitive. When we did this for the Rosicrucian Lab, we called it a lot of Rosicrucians. Now, Rosicrucians, in general, tend to be more highly sensitive than the average person. I'd have to go into the history, the metaphysical, of the Rosicrucian order, the the rituals, etc., etc. But just to say that, in general, a Mason and a Rosicrucian, someone who deals in metaphysics as a lifestyle, would be naturally more open, uh, sensitive than those who are not. So we would have anybody come in. We'd record these things. We'd have them fill out questionnaires and then see how relevant they were with each other. In other words, someone was working with this mind crystal skull, now how would they do it? They could touch it, yes. They could look at it with their eyes open. They could sit with it, not touch it, just meditate. They could hold it and meditate with it. They could meditate without holding it, just to be in the field, just the auric presence of the skull. Everybody has their own uh, this style. And I always like to touch the object and get the vibration. Nick Docerino and Marcel Vogel, that's how they train people to do that, to actually hold the skull, touch the skull, connect with the crystal itself. You try to clear your mind. You try to, there's uh, no music, no sound. We worked different things with light and color. That's also where you activate the skulls and sound. So different things were done. People would get different impressions. We compare the results afterwards. So in other words, if we get uh, uh, 15 questionnaires and 80% of those people said they heard jungle sound or they saw Mayan headdresses or they saw Mayan scenes, that's statistically relevant. So that's 85% hit, 70% hit. And I documented all these things and wrote reports on them. And what was more than 70% a hit, we considered to be statistically relevant and something that came out of the skull. Now, I could also discuss with you the scientific theory of Marcel Vogel, how the skulls actually work, how they do this.
1: Sure, go ahead. Let's talk about Vogel, first of all, for those of uh, our listeners who... Aren't aware of who Marcel Vogel uh, is in terms of crystal studies and crystal research. He he was uh, he was quite a pioneer, and some of the crystals that he actually um, made and, and fabricated are, are quite valuable now. Why don't you give us a little little thumbnail on on Marcel they're, Vogel and his work with IBM?
7: They're called Vogel cut crystals. In fact, yes, Marcel Vogel actually got his doctorate in the liquid phosphor, liquid crystal. So he already there was scientifically trained a PhD in chemistry. He had no understood the chemistry, and this is why his theory is very strongly based. He worked for IBM for many, many years. He was also a high-ranking Rosicrucian, was on call with the Rosicrucian order to come in when objects like this had happened. When I called him in in 1980, he had already worked with two known crystal skulls, the famous Mitchell Hedges crystal skull, which we can talk about before we're done, and a, a crystal skull that's in the British Museum, known the British Museum skull. So he had already worked with two skulls. He came in and this is a theory that Marcel Vogel had. Now, this is pure science. First, we'll start out with pure chemists. Quartz crystal, chemical compound, silicon dioxide. One silicon atom bonded to two oxygen atoms. Now, you have in the crystalline lattice, the lattice work of the crystal, there are possible to have defects in the crystal. Now, this is pure crystallography. Anything I'm saying now, I will cut it off at the point when it stops being, but all the things I'm saying now is standard crystallography. Anybody could look this up in textbooks, The Chemistry of Crystals, and we'll see exactly what I'm saying. So, two types of defects can be in the crystal lattice. One is called a line defect, one is called a point defect. For our purposes, we're only going to talk about point defects. What a point defect means Chemical structure is silicon dioxide. It forms a a hexagonal shape, six-sided. That's why most crystals are six-sided. In that crystal lattice, in the crystal matrix, a silicon atom could actually be missing. You could have a, a bond to two oxygen atoms where the silicon atom is missing. This is called a point defect. This is pure crystallography. This is not metaphysics. Where it becomes metaphysics is, Marcel Vogel said, that empty space where the silicon atom normally would reside, can be occupied by pulsed energy, i.e. human thought. He claimed and demonstrated with deep breathing techniques, with willpower, you can actually pulse your thoughts into a crystal. Therefore, the crystal can store energy, and it is possible to have in just a small piece of quartz crystal literally billions of line defects, billions of data points, that can be occupied. So therefore, this led a scientific basis to the reason, to the things that many of us came to, one of the great, again, big hits that people got working with crystal skulls, they were like computers, is that they were able to store energy, that the ancient peoples used crystal skulls in particular and crystals to actually be computers, to store information that can be tapped. And this is one of the things that both Marcel Vogel and Nick Nocerino taught was how to access
0: that information. Now, as you mentioned, and we'll go into this in our next segment, Marcel Vogel, of course, worked for IBM. Now, did he bring any of this knowledge to his work at IBM in developing the properties of quartz crystals? We'll get into more of that in a moment. Stephen Mailer joins us. We're talking about crystal skulls and a lot more how they can be tested Not just what you believe, but what you can prove, we hope. We want to hear from you. Write us, news at com. Once again, that's news at com. We promise we'll answer each and every letter we get, guaranteed. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. The Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online
12: in the air, water, or food, and can't find potassium iodide, go to restoreyourhealthnow.com and choose liquid zeolite. Liquid zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use liquid zeolite from restoreyourhealthnow.com. Liquid zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid zeolite comes with a money back guarantee, but is only available at restoreyourhealthnow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite at restoreyourhealthnow.com. That's restoreyourhealthnow.com or call 800 880 880 9976. Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite.
13: Never buy home canning jar lids again. No kidding. When you buy Tadler reusable canning lids once, you'll never buy canning lids ever again. Safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways containing BPA. But Tadler reusable canning lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning. Tadler lids are made with a USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, safe for direct food contact, and contain no BPA. Tadler lids are dishwasher safe, usable with standard pressure or water bath canning, Eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion. Fit standard mason jars are indefinitely reusable and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1-877-747-2793. 877-747-2793. Call 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com for Tadler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976.
3: GCN listeners, why have you been hearing so much about Dermatol, the all-natural, all-purpose first-aid spray? Because it's the must-have first-aid product you need in your preparedness kit. Dermatol is made in America by Americans who know there's a more affordable, natural way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many other skin problems. Dermatol is gentle enough for diaper rash, powerful enough for bed sores, and harmless to the eyes and mouth. It's great for the whole family, even your family pets. Dermatol is antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral, viral, and not diminished by freezing, extreme heat, or years in storage. Dermatol is an absolute must for any first aid or preparedness kit. Dermatol's soothing rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Order yours today. Call 800-217-6677. 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. Efficient. Economical. Effective. Spray it all with Dermatol.
5: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
11: Hi, this is Ted
10: Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me.
0: Stephen Mailer joins us. We're focusing on Crystal Skulls. He's an archaeologist, worked with the Rosicrucian, and we're covering the test methodology here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. Okay, Stephen, before we did that break, we were focusing on Marcel Vogel. Now, did he bring any of this back to IBM in developing the early computer chips?
7: Yes and no. Uh, he did work with liquid phosphors. That's really what his work with IBM was. So he did work with liquid crystals. So he did develop some products with IBM. But what you're talking about, as far as what we call the Vogel cut crystals, this was on his spare time, where he also developed the whole uh, industry of uh, developing these particular cut crystals that he sold, and uh, also taught crystal classes. But this was apart from IBM. He he separated his professional. Uh, academic, I mean, his professional status with IBM from his work with the Rose Cruces, with uh, uh, Crystal. But did how did they many-
0: tolerate that? Because you think of one of these old, very conservative companies, and you see somebody on there, one of their key scientists, perhaps, is involved in an organization they'd regard as wacky. So how uh- did it work out for him?
7: It didn't happen in San Jose. That wasn't the case in uh, in San Jose, California. It wasn't the case when he worked with IBM. There was no – because he was at least 25 years, 30 years a senior scientist with them when he really started to develop the crystal work. So he was already firmly entrenched as a senior scientist. There was nothing – Uh, And they never never hassled them at all. They, was never
0: any problem. Okay, let's return then to the testing and everything.
7: Okay, this is March. Uh, Now we're talking January of 1980. The skull was brought in. I got to uh, work with a man named, his name was John Zamora. He was a Mexican-American living in San Jose who was an agent, supposedly, for Mayans and a Mayan priest who were bringing a cache of things in. Uh, There's whole many things we could talk about. I've already uh, shown Chris some of this. this. Not only did they bring in crystal skulls, But they brought in genuine Mayan artifacts, carved jade, carved omec artifacts, carved of jade, and uh, even the Aztec pieces. So there was a whole cache. There was no doubt they were involved, this group, in getting to Mayan tombs. Uh, The gentleman who actually brought in these items was named Francisco Reyes, claimed to be a Mayan priest. I worked with him. Uh, He claimed that they were getting into Mayan tombs. And they were allowed to bring these things out. They were helping a starving village, et cetera. So he brought in more than one crystal skull. The first one was a Mayan crystal skull. I had a couple of sessions with it in the Rosicrucian lab. I actually took it home, got to work with it. Uh, it's when I started to do my own personal work with crystal skull. And I realized that there's, you know, again this is where it becomes something that's difficult for people to understand because straight academic science cannot deal with these objects. There's so much more to them. understanding of crystal that is just pure physical, physiochemistry and there's a metaphysical aspect that, Academic science cannot deal with. So, for example, most of the uh, academic things that are coming out, particularly by a woman named Jane Walsh, who is the resident anthropologist at the Smithsonian, she's claiming that all the crystal skulls are phony, in her words, meaning that they're all modern carved carved by machines. However, the idea was with Nick Nocerino, who I met in 1983, got to work with an amethyst crystal skull with him, and from 1983 to 2004, his passing, he was my supreme teacher in crystal skull research. He developed a scientific approach where he developed a three-part type system to classify the skull. What we would call a contemporary skull, yes, is a crystal skull that's been carved within the last 50 to 100 years. A skull that may be carved as a, a crystal carved as a skull More than 100 years, we say, is old, a couple hundred years. He put an arbitrary date. If a crystal has been carved into a skull over 1,000 years ago, we call it an ancient crystal skull. So this is where we come into the fact, are these genuinely ancient artifacts? And we can discuss how I deal with testing that, and that has to do with, as Chris mentioned, the skull I just recently got to see in Sedona, Arizona, which I've written an article about for David Hatcher Children's next issue of Rex magazine, how we actually scientifically can test a crystal skull. I specialize, being an archaeologist, being the fact that my my interests go back to ancient Egypt over 10,000 years ago, I I specialize in the items we call the ancient crystal skulls. And I totally disagree with the academic people like Jane Walsh, who say that none of these are ancient artifacts.
0: Okay, so how do we find the line of demarcation here? How many of these skulls, what proportion of the ancient skulls seem to have some strange properties, and which ones are just nice artifacts?
7: Well, um, it's a matter of the property of quartz crystal. That a skull that could be carved last week still has amazing properties. It is the properties of quartz itself, the ability to be what we say uh, scientifically. You squeeze quartz, it's piezoelectric. What does that mean? It means that you squeeze, you put pressure on quartz crystal, it produces a minute electric charge. Quartz also has the ability to make an electric charge coherent. What does that mean? An electrical charge is jumping all over the place. If you beam it through quartz crystal, it makes the charge coherent. This is why we have the silicon chip industry, why the computer we're talking to each other over is based on silicon, why our watch timepieces. Silicon has the amazing ability to take an electrical charge and make it coherent. It can act as a step-up generator and a step-down generator. So this is quartz itself. Quartz itself is an amazing cri- uh, object. It's an amazing phenomenon. So all the crystal all crystal skulls, whether well, it's carved last week, 200 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, the difference with the ancient quartz skulls is what we can go into detail.
0: We accept that these crystalline structures have properties that certainly can be used, In computers, just like we, of course, use silicon wafers and everything, building personal computers, all that stuff. We know that's done. We know that's science. We know that we can program things into them. But if we look at ancient objects, are we thinking maybe the ancients had computers too? Or is it one of those things?
7: Well, actually saying that this crystal itself was the computer. Again, Vogel said if there are these point defects, there's an empty space in the crystalline lattice. He, he actually demonstrated using staccato deep breathing, also the same type of technique that Volk, uh, that, that Nick Nosserino would use to become attuned to a skull. Nick Nosserino would give us a whole complete demonstration of how it is described, how you prepare yourself to, to do crystallography or psychometry, how you attune yourself through deep breathing, through doing vowel sounds, how you attune yourself with the crystal. So we're saying that all crystal can be used as computers. That's basically what the ancients were doing. It can store information and knowledge. This is why we claim when people do psychometry and they see scenes, they get information coming out of the skull. It's not. Just coming out of the air. They're not just making things up, which obviously a lot of skeptics would say. You're just making things up, you're just using your imagination. But we are claiming that people are getting these from the crystal. The vibration of the crystal is bringing pulsed electrical information into our brain. Our brain translates that pulsed electrical information into scenes, into information. That is how information moves. This is all science. This is neuroscience I'm giving you. Now, this is not metaphysics.
0: Okay, so so we don't need all all this electronic rigmarole here that we have. We don't need the printed circuit boards. We don't need all the other chips and things we build. We can take the core crystal structure and dispense with everything so our Macintosh and Windows computers can work with just the tiny crystal and nothing else?
7: Well, basically, that's what the ancients did. The ancients used these crystals, crystal skulls, to transfer energy, to store energy, to do healing, which is involved with vibrational effects. So they were working with energy.
0: How do we know that? How do we know that? It's just what's handed down to us in the oral tradition. Okay, so this is being told to us in oral tradition. Where? Where do we do the research to find this oral tradition? And how do we actually interpret it in our modern understanding of how computers work?
7: Well, that's a good question. Again, what we can say is we we hear information about crystal skulls the ancient ones and we'll go into detail about them being all around the world but what we know for certain where the cultures that they've been identified with where they've been coming out of in tombs is mexico and central america connected with the aztec maya and Olmec civilization we again the provenance is not there but we know for sure one crystal skull came out of a tomb that was a mayan tomb I believe a lot of them came out of so-called Omec Mayan tombs. I can talk to you. Uh, again, detail, I believe the Omecs were involved in carving a lot of these ancient ones. So uh, these are the cultures involved with that. So who we're going to talk to? We'll talk to Mayan wisdom keepers. I'm not going to talk to an archaeologist. I'm going to talk to a Mayan daykeeper like Don Alejandro, uh, uh, who was in his 80s, who was the recognized elder of the, elder of the K'iche' Maya of, all of Guatemala. He gives us the Mayan tradition of the crystal skulls. They have a strong tradition. So there's where the old stories come out. And they've come out in other people's Native American elders have talked about crystal skulls, but it's predominantly coming from the Maya and the Omeg.
0: Okay, so how do we determine that the crystal skull we find is really sourced from that civilization?
7: Well, let me tell you how we can tell the difference between a modern skull and an ancient skull, which a lot of people are totally unaware of, and particularly some credentialed archaeologists and anthropologists. A modern crystal skull. It would be machined. So it would be machined. So, uh, uh, And I lean very strongly here to the work of a great colleague and friend of mine, uh, Christopher Dunn, D U N N. Anybody that's interested in learning about ancient machining, the things we have to talk about how the Great Pyramid was built, how they cut granite, I recommend reading his books. So it's from him that I'm presenting this information on modern machining. He is the expert in the field. When you machine something, when you're going to develop something, carve something uh, by machine. You set a guide path on your machine, on your drill, and it goes according a certain arc. You're automating
0: means- the process in short, let's go into this more detail in a moment. Stephen Mailer joins us. He's an archaeologist. And we're discussing crystal skulls from a scientific standpoint. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. <laughs>
6: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: For many more segments on this week's episode of the Paracast with Gene and Chris, exploring the technology behind Crystal Skulls. Okay, so there's a machining process that's involved in the current construction, does that make it more perfect than with a yes. modern crystal? What skulls? it okay. does is
7: you set, you set a guide path on your tool, so it follows an arc. So that means if you're making a skull, a face, one side of the face will be exactly like the other side because it's following a guide path on a machine. It's usually a diamond tool or something to cut quartz. Again, let's get people some science again. Uh, what's called the mold scale, M-O-H-S, is how geology rates a stone Uh, of course diamond being 10 crystal quartz crystal would be 7 to 7.5 on a 10 scale so to cut quartz need something seven or higher usually copper or diamond so to set a guide path it's going to carve one side of the face exactly like the other we call this as being bilaterally symmetrical bilateral symmetrical one side of the face is exactly like the other side of the face. I ask every viewer, all of you now, look at your face in the mirror. Your face is not like that. One eye can be lower than the other, one nostril higher than the other, one cheekbone. Our face anatomically is not bilaterally symmetrical. It is different. So you look at it, what we call a purported ancient crystal skull, the first thing we can look at from observation is it bilaterally symmetrical. And the skulls I'll mention to you that I documented as being ancient, the Mayan crystal skull, the Amethyst crystal skull, Shana Ra, Max, the one I'm going to talk about, Einstein, none of these skulls are bilaterally symmetric. So Gene, there's a
0: minor point of imperfection about them. Not minor.
7: <laughs>
0: not yeah, minor. That's major, Gene. Okay, major. well, we want to clarify that. Okay, because these are made by hand. That's correct. There okay. you go. Now we're looking at it. So now we
7: observe the polish. When you're using a machine to polish a crystal skull, any crystal, it's going to be finely polished, smooth as glass, no imperfection. The machines, they machine it over and over. Why are they doing it? Understand, why are we making a contemporary crystal skull? We're making it to be sold. We're making it to be sold. Let's talk about capitalism here. Anything that's done in this last 100 years or 200 years is going to be made to be sold predominantly. So it we're carving it perfect to look smooth, to look clean, to look nice. So somebody's going to look at it aesthetically pleasing and buy it. When we look at a Max, a Shana Ra, or let's go back to the first one I talked about, the, the Mayan crystal skull. The first one I looked at as an archaeologist in 1980, I noticed it was not finely polished. There were cut marks. There were bumps. There were, it looks like it was carved by hand. Looks like it was carved by hand. That is one important distinction from ancient skull to modern skull. They were carved by hand. How were they carved by hand? We have many different like, theories we can talk about. So that's number so one. So we're not looking
0: in terms of ET technology or ancient astronauts here. We're talking about primitive peoples who use the implements of their society to build these things.
7: Well, you bring a great point because that's a whole subject of discussion. You've got a whole group of people Who look at these ancient skulls and says they have to be ancient aliens, because ancient people couldn't have done that. We don't agree with that. If you're asking my opinion, based on 30 years of research, I say ancient peoples carved these skulls by hand. They had knowledge of diamonds. We'd see the same thing in ancient Egypt, that they were using diamond drills to cut granite over 10,000 years ago. So ancient people had the knowledge of of diamond. They didn't use machines to cut these skulls, but they had to use some type of diamond sand, diamond grit, somehow diamond tools, and very painstaking. And we say what we see in the ancient skulls, as opposed to the modern skulls, is the intent of the carver is in the skull. Now, this becomes paranormal and metaphysical. But there's a definite difference between an ancient skull and a modern skull due to the energy, due to how long it's been used by humans, and due to the intent of the carver. Again, a modern skull is carved to be so It's going to look as pretty as they can make it. Shiny, polishy, using very nice... I mean, we see crystal skulls today in every possible crystal you can imagine, including skulls that of diamond that are called... Uh, one that's up for sale. I can give you a website for $10 million. A diamond encrusted skull. But every possible crystal now you can think of, emerald, ruby, whatever, is crystal skull made out of. And the ancients did, too. They they chose their favorite skulls. For example, the Maya loved jade. So when we see a jade crystal skull coming out of a Mayan tomb, it is very significant. And they are coming out now. This is something else we can talk about. More crystal skulls are coming out all the time now.
0: Okay, I want to go into that in a moment, but one thing that occurred to me when we had Joshua Shapiro on the show, and it occurs to me again here, we're looking at crystal skulls as ancient computers here. And then I go back to Richard Shaver, the guy who said he met these creatures beneath the caverns, beneath the surface of the earth, and he was looking for rock books, some kind of quartz crystals that contained records the knowledge of ancient civilizations. He was trying to interpret them. He was trying to translate them. Mm -hmm. Does any of this have any relationship to what you're talking about?
7: Yes, in a way. Again, we can talk about that. There are uh, certain crystals are given the designation record keeper and that that, that they seem to have had many so-called point defects and they have an infinite capacity to store information. Uh, Again, ancient records, yes. We have seen, I have seen, uh, scenes of ancient civilizations in crystal skulls. So there are the records. I mean, again, I work with a, the second crystal skull I work with. I call the amethyst crystal skull because it was eight pounds of amethyst, incredible skull. I have pictures in the book. Uh, I will talk about my book with David Hatcher Childress. There's pictures of all the skulls I discuss. But in this amethyst crystal skull, I saw scenes of ancient Egypt till up at that point, 1983 now, I have not read anywhere. I saw the Sphinx in a lake, I saw lush green all around, I saw pyramids with energies kicking out of them. I did not understand what I was seeing because no one had written about it at that time. Lo and behold, nine years later, I go to Egypt, 1992, I meet the man who becomes my teacher, and indigenous wisdom keeper, and he fills in the whole history of the indigenous story, exactly what I saw in that crystal skull. So yes, people say the crystal skulls contain evidences of, of history of ancient civilizations, People have seen it in there. So okay, the but thing. do you
0: have to use sensitives to get this information or can you bring it to a laboratory, hook it up to one of today's computers and find this information?
7: Not yet. That's a great point. Not is it in ones yet. and zeros? <laughs> it will be eventually, Gene. I think that's a great point you bring up. Right now, it comes into the form of parapsychology, of a psychometry. We, the only way to access the information now is psychically. But I do believe you've hit on a great point. I do believe one day we will be able to hook these crystal skulls up to a computer and see visual images coming out of this. That so sounds like
1: image. a great screenplay. Sure, <laughs> that'd, that'd make a great screenplay.
7: You know, like, I think uh, can Lucas could have followed up on in, with India. You know,
1: right. Before we get too far down the road, um, I'm going to go back to the whole idea of ancient people having the technology and the technological prowess and materials to actually fa- fabricate these things. Um, where did, let's say, for instance, the Omec or the Maya, where, how did they have access to diamonds? Uh, is, is there any sort of source uh, of diamonds uh, north of Brazil? Or?
7: No, uh, you bring up a great point and a great uh, food for future research. Brazil, of course, and, and Africa, South Africa. What we know for sure, Chris, is that the Omec were trading with West African sailors. Those are the giant heads of La Venta, and at San right. Alenzo, we see these incredible heads out of basalt that weigh 30 tons that are clearly West African mariners, sailors. There is no doubt in my mind that the Olmec were trading with Africans, with Asians, and with, uh, uh, with Europeans. So, uh, Do English, you know if
1: diamonds – have diamonds ever been found in a Mayan tomb, let's say, or an Olmec tomb to your knowledge? Not that I know of. Good point. Not
7: that I know of. But I'm certainly sure – that the site reports have not been complete because uh, we haven't yeah, found they, yeah. we haven't we haven't found diamond tools in Egypt yet, Christopher. Either, but we know that yeah, there, that's true. we can see the evidence of diamond yeah. cuts. I, I
1: would them. think that that they would be one of the first things that would leave a tomb site uh, surreptitiously.
0: Right.
7: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I can I, I can give a joke here. It might be off-color, so I won't do it. But uh, We're
0: now allowed to do off-color, only not, slightly not, slightly yeah. dulled. Okay? It's slightly dulled as okay. works.
7: It's actually, um, uh, my teacher had a son who's a master carver. His name is Moses. He named him Moses. It's Musa in Arabic. And so he makes a joke, because we talk about... I wrote a book actually talking about the Exodus, and how the people that left the Exodus were actually a follower of a particular king named Akhenaten. And it's a long story, but Moses would say, well, you know, uh, the Jews took their tools when they left. Why are the Jews such great diamond cutters in the world today? Well, good point. Yeah. You can go to an area. Yeah, you don't,
1: don't, yeah. leave, don't leave the tools of your trade line around when you leave.
7: Exactly. They took the tools with them. <laughs>
0: we haven't found um, exactly the tools that's yet.
7: I mean, that's, that, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of work to be done. We have not found the diamond tools yet, but we see the evidence of
0: we gotta have to find who stole those tools and where they put them. Stephen Mailer joins us. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
14: Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com.
2: Awaits. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, June 24th, 2011. Gold opened this morning at 152040. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1558.97, 779.48 for a half ounce, or 389.74 for a quarter ounce. That's 1558.97, 779.48, and 389.74.
11: The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support for the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of this insidious. Process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I have teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic proof quarter ounce pure gold coin. For only $440 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800 686 2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800 686 2237. That's 800 686 2237.
15: Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military issue supplies. They're right here online at mainmilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, military.com. We have everything for true total preparedness. MaineMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits, magnesium fire starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military Manuals, sandbags by the bale and a huge Molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207 989 6783. 207 989 6783. Or visit mainmilitary.com. That's M A I N E military.com. The main name in military supply.
10: If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with PrePass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without PrePass waits in line. Save time. Save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try PrePass free. That's 888 401
5: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
6: We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes.
0: We're in the second hour of our fun and games with Crystal Skulls. Fascinating journey trying to look at the scientific properties, not so much the stuff that you can't prove, but try to really nail it down with Stephen Mailer, an archaeologist. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. Chris, you want to pursue the questioning, and maybe there were one or two questions in our forums about this gentleman?
1: First of all, after Joshua was on the show, just for your own information, Stephen, we had one of the largest threads on uh, the Paracast uh, forum, which is forum.theparacast.com for all you new listeners. Uh, go and sign up and become part of the fun. We had uh, 24 pages and almost 250 uh, responses, and boy, it, it got hot and heavy there for a while. There's one whole cadre of uh, skeptics that um, frequent uh, our forum and listen to the show that absolutely took the Smithsonian, I forget, what was her name, Mary, somebody or other? Uh, Jane Walsh, uh, Jane, Walsh. Jane
7: Walsh.
1: Jane Walsh, yeah. They, they they took uh, her claims that none of these skulls were ancient, and boy, they, they ran with that, and they just they were using that as uh, as a baton to to smack anybody who uh, disagreed with their um, highly skeptical view of this whole subject. But but one of the things that I'm I'm interested in knowing, first of all, is you know we know about the famous uh, you know half to full size, even larger uh, than life size crystal skulls. But there also have been hundreds of smaller skulls that have been found uh, in the Maya lands. How much documentation and provenance do we have for smaller versions of these crystal skulls that, that have been reported being found?
7: That's a great point. And I'm glad you brought that up because it shows, in my opinion, how intellectually, academically dishonest Jane Walsh is. You have in tomb the in, uh, museums in Mexico City, dozens of small crystal skulls that have come out of Aztec tombs. We know the Aztecs were carvers. Actually, the Aztecs weren't. Uh, If I can be clear, the Aztecs were actually a confederation. What is Aztec? The Aztecs themselves were a warrior tribe. They conquered a bunch of other tribes. They formed the confederation, which we call the Aztec Confederation. But there was one tribe, actually was a couple of tribes, that the Aztecs employed were called the Mixtecs and the Zapotecs. They were master carvers. They carved in jade and they carved in crystal. This is not metaphysics. This is scientifically attestable and provable. We have the artifacts of the Miztecs and Zapotecs, great carvers in jade and crystals. So yes, to answer your question, there are hundreds of small crystal skulls that have come out of Mayan and Aztec tombs, labeled so in museums, and yet this woman will come and say that none of them are ancient. Obviously intellectually dishonest. Now also she is claiming that certain skulls are modern-carved, And I'm answering now your critics that she never tested. She made a statement, and I attacked her in print on this in 2005 in the Washington Post, that the crystal skull Max, owned by Joanne and Carl Parks in Texas, that she never tested is modern carved as the rest. If I can say she's lied, but she's made intellectually dishonest statements. How she came to her conclusion for those that are backing her is because of Bill Holman and the Mitchell Hedges skull. Because he foolishly let her have that skull twice, she made casts of the jaw and the teeth, ran it through her electron scanning microscope, saw the straight cut marks that looks like it's from a modern tool, and she declared unequivocally the Mitchell Hedges skull is a phony, it is modern carved, and all of them therefore are phony. The irony of this is we agree with her. No Serino was the first one who told me in 1998 that Anna Mitchell Hedges' story about the Mitchell Hedges skull is a complete fabrication. She was never at Lubantun. That skull was never found at Lubantun. That skull was never carved by the Maya. It is a modern carved skull. So therefore, Jane Walsh was able to use that to get that information on that skull and then use it against every other skull we talk about, which she has not tested personally. She has not tested Shana She has not tested Einstein. She has not tested the Mayan skull or the Amethyst skull, and she has not tested Max. So she lies when she talks about that. These skulls are ancient well, artifacts.
1: She, she did and, test the, the British uh, skull, correct? Which is yeah, almost it is a uh, twin it is to modern the modern
7: And it is modern carved. So you see, we have a lot of modern carved skulls, full size modern carved skulls, which fool people. There are a couple out there, I'm not going to sp- mention specifically, that are out on the, on the, in the field now. They're being called ancient that are not. Uh, but there are those that are. And the fact is that Jane Walsh, the resident archaeologist, anthropologist of the at smithsonian institute has never done an excavation in her life she has never been to a mayan tomb she's never been to the mayan sites she's never talked to a mayan elder she just goes about one testing she sees her little electron microscope and therefore they're all phony so those of you uh, all your people that want to stand by her bring them on because this woman is intellectually and academically dishonest.
1: And we're quoting you on that.
7: <laughs> Absolutely. And I've been quoted already on George Norrie, on Coast to Coast, and on all these shows, Jeff Renz and in print saying that. And I'll challenge her anytime to come test Max with me and prove that Max
0: is modern car. Have you physically contacted her and said, OK, let's put your claims to the test?
7: No, I just called her out in public. And on the radio. Well, no why response. not
0: contact her? Why not say, OK, you know, I've been challenging you. You're not responding. Let's have the challenge. Let's put it to the test. Let's see what you can do. And I'll show you what I could do.
7: Well, you're talking about an honest, intellectually scientific debate which doesn't exist with these people. She would not recognize my. She would not recognize my credentials. And she would refuse to take part. I know the answer beforehand.
0: You know what? Just for the heck of it. How about trying and let us know on the PowerCast if she ignores you, fine. If she okay. says, I'm not going to do it, fine. But Why not contact her?
7: I, that's a good point, Gene I'll try
1: that Chris okay here's, here's another question that I had about Max I had a personal experience with Max that um, I cannot explain I was taking the task on the Paracast forum uh, for mentioning it on the uh, Joshua Shapiro episode I sat with it and, and it, it's a very interesting skull because it, it's dark on half of it and the other side is, is quite clear and jemmy and I Actually, could Max see Max
7: physically changed I first saw Max in 1989 today in 2011 there is a side of Max's jaw which is clear which was a cloudy 20 years ago, which shows that the crystal is interacting, we say with human mind, interacting with something. The crystal is changing. Max is also getting citrine. He's getting yellow in one side of his face, which was not No there. kidding.
1: Wow, I didn't well, know that. I, I witnessed something inside of it that uh, was some very unusual light refractions that I got. The distinct impression was uh, like a TV set was trying to turn on inside the, the matrix of the skull, which I found very surprising. And of course, mentioning that uh, on the job Joshua episode <laughs> put me in some. Well,
10: some pretty so uh, Let me
7: let me clear up some more history because we want history. I am the one who turned Joshua Shapiro onto Crystal Skull. Period. 1982. He was just a rambling person. Going around San Jose, California, he came. We had a booth, a friend of mine, in a San Jose Renaissance Fair. We had crystal skull pictures. That's the first time he ever saw. 1983, I introduced him to the amethyst crystal skull. I am the one who showed Joshua Shapiro his first crystal skull. I am the one who turned him on to all of that. Let's be clear, Joshua Shapiro is not a scientist. He is not an archaeologist. He is just a journalist. That's how he approaches these subjects, not as a scientist. I first came to this subject as a scientist, but But because I am a mystic and a scientist, I can walk in both fields. So did Nick Nossarino, so did Marcel Vogel. It is the only way to understand these things. So people want to remain skeptical, want to hear you tell a story like that. I can give you literally thousands of stories of people who claim miraculous healings from Max, who've seen incredible things, who've got information, who have have gotten information about themselves personally that's enhanced their lives. Joanne Parks will be writing her own book on this, documenting literally thousands of healings. I'll tell you what,
0: well, we'll get into more of this, Stephen, in a moment. Stephen Mailer joins us. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast.
8: Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Dot .com Attack Attack of the Rocklands A novel in the grand science fiction tradition
16: Are you still a traditional smoker Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by Lesig 30- day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit Lasig.com, spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lecig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker
14: Is your church, school, or organization desperately looking for new fundraising ideas? Tired of the same old candles or candy, taking orders, inventory, and low profits? Well, here's great news. 10X Fundraising guarantees 10 times traditional profits with zero hassle. For an amazing free bonus, free shipping, and an extra 10% off, enter GCN when you go to 10XFundraising.com. That's the number 10, the letter X, Fundraising.com. Or call 800-480-8797. Visit 10X Fundraising for 10 times a profit today.
15: Will you survive during the economic collapse or another deadly natural disaster? Your key to survival lies here at hardshoot.com. A former member of U.S. Special Operations knows what you'll need to survive in these hard times. Our online store arms you with extreme survival kits, self-heating food reserves, and more. For a limited time with any purchase, you'll also receive a three-day survival kit absolutely free. Prepare now. The online store, www.hardshoot.com.
12: www.hardshoot.com. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freeze dry click on Products, and look for the Freeze Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freeze dry or call 866 404 that's FreezedryGuy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can
5: buy. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
0: Stephen Mailer talking about scientific research and crystal skulls. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien is the co host here in the PowerCast. Okay, so let's look at that. As far as you're concerned, Joshua Shapiro is a journalist. Do you think maybe he comes to conclusions too readily without supporting evidence? What's yes. your opinion?
7: He's not grounded in his research. That's why. Um Again, I'm not. I'm not here to try to put somebody down, but it's uh, not the point. Oh, we just want honest his criticism. His information is not as clean as it could be. Let's put it that
1: way. Okay. Oh, that that was a good way of putting it. <laughs> okay. Here's a question uh, that that I have about Joanna Parks and Max. Now, there has been a claim made that she has um, absolutely taken Max off the table in terms of any potential. Scientific testing—is this true? Would she be willing, if the conditions uh, were correct and the in the proper protocols were in place, would she would she be willing to um, allow testing of Max to look for machine marks and that sort of thing?
7: Absolutely. In fact, we took part in a in a in a television documentary in 2008 from NBC. Flew me to New York. Flew her to New York. uh, Brought me out to Brooklyn College Department of Anthropology. For two and a half hours, they videoed me working with Max, showing how, as an archaeologist, you look at it, how to test it, how to examine it, how you can see that Max is ancient. And unfortunately, NBC turned the project over to the Sci-Fi Channel, and they used less of than five seconds of me in the final product. After two and, <laughs> and a half, so <laughs> now uh, Bill Holman looking for an imaginary skull in Mexico that never existed. So, I mean, that's that's how it goes. But, yes, to answer your question, let me bring you some more science. 1996, they were invited to come to the British Museum. Uh, Nick Nosserino bought Shana Ra. Joanne Parks, who usually never leaves the country, went to London with Max. They had the British Museum skull. They had the skull that's known as the Smithsonian skull, 40-pound hollow skull, big skull, smoke, uh, very cloudy quartz. Jane Walsh was there, but she did not do the testing. The testing was done by a woman who's the head of the British Museum's testing laboratory. They came back with results. They said the British the British Museum skull was modern carved. They said that the Smithsonian skull was modern carved. They had some other skull there. It was an Aztec skull. It said it was carved there. Then when it came to Max and Shana Ra, who they tested scientifically, they had no comment. Now, wait a minute. First of all, when Nick Nostrino brought the skull over, he had a signed contract with the British Museum that they would get a copy of all testing, all reports. That was never provided. So when they asked why is there no comment, they had no comment. Now, wait a minute. When you test something scientifically, if you get a result or you don't, uh, either it's ancient or it's not ancient. No comment is not a scientific response. (laughs) Later, no. When they <laughs> and no kind of,
1: comment about your no comment is, isn't either. <laughs>
7: well, later so they reneged on their they agreement. They claimed the testing was inaccurate. They claimed the testing was inaccurate. They couldn't, get a, they couldn't get a clear scientific test. That's nonsense. What they got was proof that the skulls were ancient. It was against their academic paradigms. They could not be honest and give an honest answer. And then Jane Walsh took those results years later to say that Max and Shannara tested out as being modern. There's no such test results. Again, you're not talking about people who are being scientifically honest here.
1: Well, this was a real point of contention on on this uh, voluminous thread on uh, the Paracast forum, and um, it boy it got a little hot and heavy there uh, in terms of people supporting one side of uh, of the story uh, versus the other. Well, you know, when we look at these artifacts, what is it about the skull motif um, that seems to draw people in? Uh, or do we have any other um, artifacts of this size and and scale, uh, obviously, if these are ancient some of these skulls are ancient, it took uh, decades, generations to carve them. Probably, um, do we have any other types of artifacts that are on par with with these skulls?
7: Yes, I mean we have crystal balls. Okay, so uh, the question has been why the shape? Right. The shape is important. Shape is significant. Okay, first of all, it is only in our modern mindset, i.e., Judeo Christian Islamic philosophy that we look at the skull as a symbol of death, something to be feared. And sure enough, that is a normal response. Most people who see a crystal skull on an exhibition, if they have a strong Christian, strong Jewish, a strong Muslim background, immediately they're, they're repulsed. It's death, it's evil. That's not how the ancient people, not how the Maya, not how the Omic, not how ancient people look. Uh, first of all, they didn't fear death. They saw death as a continuation. And they didn't, they saw a skull as a symbol of eternity. Now, Another example would be, if we're saying that the crystal skulls were computers, could store information, well, what other organ in our body do we know that stores information? The brain. Where is the brain housed In the skull. Simple. But in the skull would be a simple, something that we could identify with, something that is memory. But the ancient people, the skull represented eternity, infinity. It represented an alchemy we call the fixed salt, that which does not dissolve. Now, here's something you may not be aware of, but when a body disintegrates, it's usually the skull and the long bones that take the longest time to disintegrate, are the hardest stone, are the hardest mi- m- mineral in our body. Why do we find skulls, of course, as fossils? Why can't we find a 3.8 million year old skull cap of a pre human, but we can't find the rest of the body? It, you know, the ribs and all that are gone. Very rarely do we find a full skeleton in, 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 in paleoarchaeology. But the, the skull and the long bone. when we cremate a body, And they put it under that tremendous heat. Usually the skull and the long bone, even at a thousand degrees Fahrenheit, does not totally melt. What they do when they give you cremains, the cremated remains of someone, they have pulverized. They have taken out your mortar and pestle and pulverized the skull and the long bones so that you get pure powder. So a skull can represent eternity to the Maya, the Olmec. So the crystal skull is supposed to represent infinity. Uh, Just
0: parenthetically, let me ask you a quick question here before Chris picks up on it. And that is, okay, so we have the skull shaped... In this fashion, we have this built as a skull-shaped object. Does it have to be a skull? Can it be a hand? Can it be a foot? Can it be a circle?
7: Yes. To, to, be, to, add, to be a functional talisman, to be an operational tool, again, it could be just a crystal ball with no shape or just a piece of raw crystal. But there is something that happens, Gene, when we carve. Again, we say the difference in the ancient skulls is the intent of the carver. So we're saying that these ancient skulls were carved by master shamans, male or female, usually with a school, with students being involved. And that person puts their intent into the skull. They are creating an object not to be sold. It's not commercial. It is a talisman. It is something to interact with human
0: mind to be used for healing. Okay, but... That means then they didn't build skulls or crystalline structures in other shapes with the same precision. Is that correct? Right.
7: They predominantly looked at the skull shape. Yes. What we're looking at is, um, I mean, they carved crystal into many different forms. You have crystal goblets, you have crystal statues, but it seems obvious to your point. The main shamanistic talisman they wanted to create was a skull.
1: All we have is the oral tradition to support this, and we have one other piece. Chris. The-
7: we have one other piece, Chris. The Mayan glyph. What's that? The Mayan glyph, which is just the upper jaw, is alchemical zero. It means infinity. It was actually a number, but the number was irrelevant. I mean, it's what we call infinity, alchemical zero. The, the Mayan glyph for infinity is the upper jaw of a skull.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Wow.
7: No, well, we how about
1: uh, how about other animal forms? I know the jaguar was a revered uh, animal in the Meso. Uh, cultures, especially around Central America and the highlands, uh, do we have any sort of animal forms that have been uh, that are, are are as impressive as uh, you know in terms of these gorgeous artifacts that some of the skulls are? Do we have yes, any I, examples of?
7: Yes, yeah? I can send. I can actually send you that we took photographs of these of this cache that this Francisco Reyes brought in. They actually have a a cobra out of jade. Uh, they they would do uh, 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 jaguars out of jade again. For the Maya and Omec, if it had a special significance as a Talismanic ritual object, they would use it as jade. Even more crystal was for the skulls really to really work with them as uh, information device record keepers for healing. But when they had a special object, it would be jade. And uh, I can reveal something here to you and your audience. It's not out to the public yet. There has been found in the Yucatan a jade head. Uh, it is known. It is actually a, like a Mayan head out of jade. And with it, it has uh, been under secret for now. They are now coming out with a full-size jade crystal skull.
0: Okay, uh, so this is a crystal skull made of jade. And I guess the big question will be, does it seem to have the same properties as quartz? And this is going to be a complicated question. It has to wait until we do our break. Stephen Mayer joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in The Paracast. Mm-hmm.
16: The number one secret to having great health and long life is having high levels of glutathione. This master antioxidant is required by your body to stop free radicals, keep cells young, remove chemical and heavy metal toxins, support immunity, support liver functions, stop inflammation, and much more. The results of optimal levels of glutathione in your body are more mental and physical energy, stronger immune system, greater endurance, and more. Do you know the number one secret superfood that helps increase your glutathione levels by 64% or more? It's unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. This health food is amazing in its ability to do so much for virtually everyone. Introducing One World Whey, an industry-first unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com.
13: Never buy home canning jar lids again. No kidding. When you buy Tadler Reusable Canning Lids once, you'll never buy canning lids ever again. Safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways containing BPA. But Tadler Reusable Canning Lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning. Tadler Lids are made with a USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, safe for direct food contact, and contain no BPA. Tadler Lids are dishwasher safe, usable with standard pressure or water bath canning. Eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion. Fit standard Mason jars are indefinitely reusable and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1 877 747 2793. 877 747 2793. Call 877 747 2793. Or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com for Tadler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976.
5: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
11: Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Powercast. and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk.
0: So, the question on the table, the jade crystal skull. Stephen Mailer is going to explain this to us. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien is the co-host. You're in the PowerCast. So, does jade have the same properties as quartz?
7: No. It has its own properties, specific property. Uh, jade can be worked, uh, uh, it's believed to raise energy raise psychic vibrations. The, the Mayans definitely used jade objects when they did their ritual psychoactive plants, to go into trance, to, to go into other worlds, other dimensions. So, no, the answer is quartz has its own particular properties, why quartz was chosen. Jade would have its particular properties, why it would be chosen for ritual shaman- shamanic objects. But uh, they definitely valued jade, and I believe, again, the real masters of jade carving were the Olmec, who taught the Maya.
1: One thing that, that I'd like to know, and this is for some of the um, the more skeptical types out there. Now, you mentioned that early on you conducted uh, quite a number of... of uh, you know, I'm not sure what the term would be, but refereed sort of sessions with uh, sensitives and others. Has any of these results uh, been published anywhere?
7: Uh, yes. Uh, uh, very good. It's actually in two books. Uh, I, I wrote official reports for the nota Those reports uh, were, were basically summarized in the the book, uh, called Mysteries of Crystal Skulls Revealed, which Joshua, uh, arranged to get together with Nick Docerino and Nick's, uh, fine student, Sandra Bowen. That book is basically out of print. It was one of the, came out in 1988, Mysteries of Crystal Skull Revealed. But since then, I've co written a book with our friend and colleague, David Hatcher Childress. It's called The Crystal Skulls, Astonishing Portals to Man's Past, Adventures Unlimited Press, 2008. I have half the book. David has half the book. In my half the book, I summarize. All the research I did
1: at rose bushtian research lab okay well that's i think that's that's important because the whole idea the whole linking between the scientific side of this this whole mystery and and the the, the psychometric side or the the intuitive side of this i think this is this is the ground where your skeptics are going to have the most uh, difficulty accepting uh this type of information at face value and so i think it's important that uh that these results um were uh refereed and uh you know these tests were refereed and these results actually have been published i think that's important for people to know and uh w- what we can do is uh, we can refer people on to other uh types of of scientific results uh, if you feel that there's uh uh, you know, if these, these tests were warranted and, and, and deserve to be given
7: notice. Um, Again, well, the, two, the, two the two prominent researchers in the field, Dr. Marcel Vogel, obviously PhD in chemistry, Nick Nocerino got the first master's degree teaching credential in parapsychology in California. These are two gentlemen who were scientifically oriented, who also were mystics and metaphysical. That's, that's my basis. So, yes, there has to be the scientific grounding there somewhere. I mean, it can't just be all off the wall.
1: Well, and you also have to uh, have scientists that are not intellectually dishonest about uh, their exposure to these very enigmatic artifacts. And, and uh, you know, I mean, at the very least produce the results of testing that, you know, is being done. I mean, that, again, that to again, me is uh, that's smoking gun evidence. That, that right. I and again, I would, I would is, say is, when, when,
7: when Joanne Parks publishes her book, she will have hundreds of testimonies from doctors. Chiropractors, uh, metallurgists, archaeologists, uh, a- a physicists, chemists, etc. So yeah, that's going to be included. We're going to have that eventually. The scientific testimony from scientists, who again, who are open-minded, who have looked at this object. And again, I would just like to bring one thing point out about your skeptics. I would challenge any skeptic to come to me who's actually witnessed this stuff. There's a difference with people who are being skeptical, who are standing in, sitting in their armchairs, reading literature, right. and making comments. <laughs> I, when I, I right. used to host Joanne Parks. I've been to many places. You know, they go around with the skulls. I've had many, many people who've come to see a crystal skull that I've witnessed who are very skeptical. This is nonsense. This is hooey-blueey. It's new age garbage. Many men who were dragged by their wives. I have not seen one person who did not feel something. Even people say, I'm not sensitive, I don't get anything. They go down, sit with the skull, would would you feel it? Yes, just putting my hand on the skull, I felt this tingling, I felt this electricity. Everybody feels something. And I can tell you the overwhelming people who I've seen, who I've witnessed come to see a crystal skull, who've come as skeptics, have left as some degree of believer when they leave. So the majority of skeptics that you're looking at who are really adamant and who are refusing to accept any of this, have never witnessed or experienced
1: a yeah, that's that's a good point. Now, this brings up the whole subject of power objects, and I think you've kind of hinted at this uh, through the uh, first part of our show here that that these objects, um, especially obviously, I'm referring to the ones that are potentially ancient. These objects were handled uh, with reverence. Um, there seems to be some sort of uh, a potential uh, programming of these skulls as uh, into power objects, and and if, let's say, the science that you are referring to in terms of the, uh, uh, the point, uh, what's it called, a defect in it that's able to store knowledge the Vogel uh, came up with this this whole concept, right. um, quartz obviously has it. If this is real, it has more of a potential to be programmed as a power object. So let's let's discuss the the programming uh, potential program of the power object. Sure, so and of course... ...different from other objects.
7: Right, some of it could be classified as positive, some could be classified as negative. Let's face it, some of these objects were abused. Uh, why we had, uh, initially, a lot of people uh, had problems with the first skull I talked about, the Mayan crystal skull. A lot of people got scared. A lot of people saw, felt violence and anger. As we found out, again, this is an anecdotal story, but again, the oral tradition came down that this particular skull had been used by the Toltecs. When the Toltecs conquered the Maya in the Yucatan, they instituted large sacrifice of again opening the heart. It is what we then people would see seen that actually when the chest cavity was cut open with an obsidian knife and the heart taken out this particular crystal skull was put in the heart cavity. So maybe it was seen then that they were helping the person pass over to the other side, but the trauma, the violence would go into the crystal. So people would experience that. Some of the skulls carried that, some didn't. So, I mean, the skulls were used for all possible things. Now, the ancient skulls, a lot of us felt from these powerful shamans were from healing schools. So the crystals were going to be used to heal and how they were used in healing is, as I mentioned, to help someone pass over to the other side. Now, in our society, we don't think about that. But if people could, uh, if you have ever interviewed or know of Daniel Brinkley, this is what he does for a living. Daniel Brinkley almost died three times. What he does now for a living is he helps people pass over peacefully with dignity. Well, the crystal skulls were used that way. We don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but there are people who don't think there's any such thing as death, that you're just going from one form to another, then the crystal skull enables you to move to that transition. It also did healings. So there were, and to store information and knowledge for previous people to work as powerful shamanic ritual objects to meditate with, to do chanting rituals, to raise the vibrations of the people, all positive things, and yes used for negative things in later times used as war objects as used as objects to again for ritual sacrifice, so a lot of, all these things get recorded. we have seen these in the different skulls or the different ways they were used are recorded in there. What we would say with the Mayan crystal skull, the people sometimes they would get this bad feelings, and we say, either you stop, you break off, or you don't want to deal with it, or you just try to concentrate to go deeper, that there were deeper things beyond that surface negativity of vibration. But some of the skulls, like Einstein, who I just saw, like Max, like Shanara, were never used for negative, and there's no negative energy has ever come out of them. Some of the skulls, it was told to us by the Mayan priests, a seal was put on by the skull a ritual seal that it couldn't be used for negativity. I mean, that's possible. But again, the objects we use were usable—positive both positive and negative, depending on the culture, the civilization, the level of awareness of the people that had them. Yes, they've been used for black magic, no doubt.
1: Well, you mentioned that there have been healings associated with some of these skulls. Is there any documentation uh, uh, on this? I mean, I, I know, I, I seem to remember from your book with David that you had mentioned a couple of cases in there, but why don't, for our listeners' uh, sake, why don't you uh, talk about some of the more uh, celebrated uh, examples of, of potential healings?
7: Well, again, uh, um, I, Joanne will, Parks will be more uh, into specific documentation, but she shows uh, an example of uh, a gentleman who had back surgery before he came to see Max. He stood over Max, and somebody took a photograph. In the photograph, you could actually see a double. You see Max, and then you see right next to it. Almost in etheric, in like yellow light, obviously in the photograph, but nobody witnessed it in real, showed his whole vertebral column. And Max showed him where he was going to work on his back and do a healing. This man then recorded months later that his back has no back problems at all. And he attributes it totally to his sessions with Max. Again, Joanne will document this. A lot of this is going to be before, afters. There's going to be a lot of befores, a lot of afters. Uh, Nick Noserino was eventually going to be writing his own book, documenting the healings he did with his skull. Uh, I I don't have specifics because I don't have an ancient skull that I've worked with to uh, give you a specific case. But I know there are documented cases and they will be recorded. You know, one thing,
0: Stephen, I'm going to want to ask you about the documentation and how we could basically find the providence for that documentation. And you'll see what I mean when we get to the next segment. Stephen Mailer joins us. The subject on the table is crystal skulls and maybe jade skulls and other sorts of things. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, Ted Anderson
11: announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right. Every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700.
6: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: Winding down the final hour of our crystal, jade, other kind of skull discussion with Stephen Mailer. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in the Paracast. So here's the thing. When you say somebody has been cured of some kind of ailment... They come in there and they have a problem and they're treated by the crystal skull, whatever, and they don't have the problem. The question is, did you have a doctor look at the person before they go in saying, you've got this condition? And did a doctor check them after being treated to see if they still have the condition?
7: That's interesting. And that's, uh, that's a very, very rigorous question. I don't know if it's exactly been documented as you say. But I know that there have been chiropractors and there have been MDs who've been involved with some of the healings with Max who have testified to that. Whether they've actually uh, been one of their patients who they've sent to Max for a treatment where they can document a before and after, I can't
0: specifically say sure, that. Sure,
7: but wouldn't that and be an important thing, up, Stephen? they are setting up a good parameter for future research.
0: Right? Sure, but I'm saying this is something you'd think after all these years somebody would have tested. You know, this person has cancer. He goes in there, he's in remission. This person has a bad back, some kind of spinal cord injury, or just dislocated discs or something, they go in there and the chiropractor, the medical doctor says, you know what, they're cured. Because it's not just I feel better, because sometimes back ailments specifically can be partly psychological. Yes,
7: you're making a good point, but understand that the people who would be involved with doing anything with crystal skulls would not be your conventional allopathic physician. The people who would be involved with Joanne with healings would be chiropractors, would be naturopaths, would be homeopaths.
0: So sure, but chiropractors, they use x-rays, they do some kind of physical diagnostics. I, again,
7: sure. I, I would say follow up with this and have Joanne Parks on. Ask her to specific, she could specifically mention chiropractors who will be doing this, who will be doing before and afters. So that's being done with Max, I know that. There are chiropractors, uh, not MDs particularly, unless they're alternatives, but naturopaths, homeopaths, chiropractors, we have been working with Joanne, who can document before and after. So she would be the one to talk to specifically about this.
0: Now, I wouldn't okay, object good. to chiropractors because I've been treated by chiropractors over the years. And the back problems that were very involved and the doctors wanted to put me in traction for the chiropractors, pretty much cured. Chris? You mentioned uh, on, on a couple of occasions here Einstein,
1: which is the latest of these uh, potentially ancient skulls that it has surfaced. Why don't you give us a little background on, on the Einstein story, how you found out about it, what we know about the skull, and, and describe it for us. Because the pictures you showed me were uh, quite amazing. I, and, and the size of the thing is even more amazing. So why don't you give it's, us a, um, a quick
7: And There's a good p- potential for you to see it in person because it's there in Sedona, Arizona. Well, I just got involved in and this, is of course, where we can lead up to a commercial. I just got involved in a major Crystal Skull Conference, uh, 101010 10, 10 in New York City, put on by a man named, uh, Kendall Ray Morgan. The website is www.oraclestoneproductions.com or Crystal Skull Events.com. Oracle Stone Com. Uh, there's going to be one in LA, 111111. 11, 11. It was the greatest gathering of ancient modern skulls, uh, of the time. There were there were at least a dozen ancient skulls and hundreds of contemporary skulls. Uh, it was advertised. One of the hooks for this conference was there was going to be unveiling of a mystery skull, one that has never been made public before. Well, being in the know like I am, and I was the keynote speaker for the conference, uh, I was told beforehand that it was a skull called Einstein that I'd heard about vaguely, but never knew much detail about. I heard about Einstein from Nick Sereno over the years. He would say things to me like, the crystal skulls are this and that. But then there's Einstein, who's a special case. Or he would say something, there's Einstein, and it's special. And I would wait for more information he would never provide. It. Well, as it turned out, Einstein is owned by a woman named Carolyn Ford. She first obtained it in 1990, had Nick Noserino come, see it, test it, and authenticate it in 1991. But she kept it from the public. She did not want to make it public, did not do anything about it for 20 years. The reveal, unveiling of Einstein was going to be in New York City at the 101010 conference on, 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 on October 10th. And there she was at the conference and revealed Einstein. I got to see the skull. It very interested me. It reminded me very much of the exact first skull I talked about to you guys. The Mayan crystal skull looked like a larger version. But it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. 33 pounds of ancient course. Now, we've seen big contemporary skulls. I mentioned that the Smithsonian had a 40-pound hollow skull. I've seen an 80-pound contemporary skull. Huge piece, of course, but contemporary. Wow. We've never heard of an ancient skull that big. Well, as it turns out, Nick had seen it. He had documented, he had documented it as the largest ancient skull that ever came out. And I must mention that Nick Noserino, in his lifetime, documented as many as 15 to 18 skulls, which he classified as being ancient, carved as a skull over 1,000 years ago. That's for people who say there's only 13 original skulls not as sets of 13. There's way more than 13. I've seen as many as nine that I would say were genuine ancient artifacts. So I got friendly with uh, Carolyn Ford and her husband, Ron. They live in Sedona, Arizona. They invited me to come see Einstein, work with Einstein, test for myself. And to make that story short, we came there in March. That's where we saw Chris. Stayed with uh, David Hatchett Childress at Rex West in Camp Verde and spent two days with Einstein. I came up with all sorts of magnifying glasses, high-power flashlights, and laser lights to do scientific testing. I tested that skull, looked at the crystal, looked at every possible aspect of that skull, clearly it was not bilaterally symmetrical one side is definitely different than the other there were cut marks, there were pock marks it was not polished by machine it was carved by hand there is no doubt that that skull is an ancient artifact and it is just the giant version of the Mayan crystal skull which led me to believe that Einstein was the master skull that other skulls were carved from what we have a theory of that was a basis of some of these lectures at that skulls were used in sets of 13, 12 skulls around a master skull in the 13th it has to do with the number 13 sacred to the maya why did Jesus have twelve disciples plus himself? It's a number of Osiris. Has to do with regeneration. I could go on and on about the number thirteen. It is not unlucky that just happened in October thirteenth, thirteen oh seven, Black Friday, when the Catholic Church and the King of France declared war on the Knights Templars. That's the whole basis of Black of Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, Friday
1: unlucky. the thirteenth.
7: Thirteen is a sacred number to the Maya, as you well know, and it was sacred in the use of crystal skulls. Thirteen. So I got clear vision that Einstein was a master skull that a shaman had given an assignment to his students to make 12 skulls as copies and the Mayan crystal skull, the one I first saw in 1980, was one of Einstein's children. So Einstein is a master skull, a master recorder. Tremendous carving to see this. You have to see it by hand. The jaw is shoot amazingly thick and clear. The rest of the skull is cloudy. It's great for scrying. You can see scenes in it. It's great for psychometry. Immediately Nick Nocerino came to me, and I don't care who's judging or valuing what I'm saying to you now at all. You understand, I come to the point where I put this out there. I really don't care if there's a skeptic out there that that thinks I'm crazy or not. I know what I experienced, and I'm giving you what I experience. So I got tremendous work with Einstein, both working as a scientist, looking at it as an artifact, clearly discerning that it's hand-carved, it was not machined, it's ancient. On the other side, it's a powerful metaphysical album, a record keeper that has much memory, tremendous amount of information, and a powerful energy device that can be used for healing and for helping people just raise vibration. It is a master skull, Mm -hmm. genuine ancient artifact, in my opinion, carved at least 5,000 years ago as a skull and older than that.
1: Well, what do we know
7: about it? How did Ron and Karen
1: come up with this thing? I mean, what do we know about its history? Uh, uh,
7: Carolyn Ford was living in L.A. She was a big part uh, a of a rock band at the time. She got very interested in Crystal Skull, just came to her on her own, and she wanted to have a small Crystal Skull, just a little one to work with. She called a friend who had a shop in Seattle, which we were from, and he said, you really want a Crystal Skull? She said, yes. He said, you have to come up here and see what I have. She flew from L.A. to Seattle, Went in the store, and there was the thirty-three pound Einstein. She fell immediately in love with it, bought it, and got it. The story of Einstein, again, the provenance of provenance. Einstein was obtained by this person from an estate sale, one of the items in the estate. The estate was of an old archaeologist explorer who had gone to Mexico. Again, the story the story is that he plundered it from a Mayan tomb in the 30s, and that's how he got Einstein. And this is typical of a lot of the stories, except Shana Ra. Before we leave, I must say to you, we have providence of genre, but it's not something Jane Walsh would recognize. Why? Nick Noserino was asked to advise, psychically advise. There's a whole field of archaeology we call psychic archaeology, where people who are sensitive go on sites and they may tell you, there's something here, there's something there. Nick was a master at that. He went to an area in the Oaxaca area in the state of Guerrero. He pointed to this area and said, there's a site here. He told them exactly where to dig, what they would found. They found Mayan artifacts and two crystal
0: skull we'll get into crystal more kingdom. of that in a moment stephen Mailer joining us on the paracast i'm gene steinberg the co-host is chris o'brien and once again you're in the paracast <laughs>
2: As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to protect your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They both have maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them until now, your cash would have the buying power of only $4,800. But your gold and silver would have the buying power of three million dollars the answer to protecting your assets is simple call john ballman today at 1-800-686-2237 extension 169 get all your questions answered before your money is worth a zero call 1-800-686-2237 extension 169 take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold that's 1-800-686-2237 extension 169 If you're concerned about radiation poisoning
12: from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at Restore Your Health RestoreYourHealthNow.com Learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com Or call 800-880-9976 Call 800-880-9976 today And learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite GCN listeners, why have you been
3: hearing so much about Dermatol, the all-natural all-purpose first aid spray? Because it's the must-have first aid product you need in your preparedness kit. Dermatol is made in America by Americans who know there's a more affordable, natural way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many other skin problems. Dermatol is gentle enough for diaper rash, powerful enough for bed sores, and harmless to the eyes and mouth. It's great for the whole family, even your family pets. Dermatol is antimicrobial, antifungal, anti viral and not diminished by freezing extreme heat or years in storage dermatol is an absolute must for any first aid or preparedness kit dermatol's soothing rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed order yours today call 800-217-6677 800-217-6677 that's 800-217-6677 efficient economical effective spray it all
5: with dermatol America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We
6: want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com
0: Stephen Mailer joining us for three more segments on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. You were covering this finding, Stephen, please explain further before yes. we get in- to our listener in- questions.
7: 1995, they found a whole series of, of objects, mine objects, and two crystal scopes. Uh, the uh, They were so grateful for, for Nicholas aiding a- 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 in this excavation, they gave him the crystal skull. Again, though, the reason that we can come to Jane Walsh and she'll, uh, she'll argue against it is because this was off the book's excavation, not done by a university in Mexico, by credentialed Mexican archaeologists. So therefore, it is not documented. So she can say, prove it. Yeah, we can't prove it. Okay, off the the books,
0: meaning we're not talking about the financial aspects to it. Off the books, meaning you're paid under the table without paying taxes. It means it's not sanctioned by a traditional university or research organization.
7: And let me tell you the truth, Gene. The majority of archaeology excavations that have been done in the history of the world have been done that way. A majority of things taken out of Egypt have been illegal excavations. The majority of things taken out of the Mayan sites and Olmec sites, et cetera, have been illegal excavations. The percentage of recognized, credentialed archaeological finds compared to illegal ones is minuscule. And what do they do? They find these things. They find crystal skulls, and they put them in museums. That's not what these things were intended for. So we, I'd rather prefer an illegal excavation to find these things than a illegal one, because they're, all they're going to do is stick these things in museums. They're supposed to be interacted with human beings. With human Sounds mind. like
0: the line from one of the Indiana Jones movies where Harrison Ford says, this belongs in a museum. And then the response was, so do you, Dr. Jones.
7: That was the third movie, yes. Right at the beginning.
0: <laughs> That's the one with Sean Connery. It was the best movie. Yes, it was.
7: Okay. It was. It was great. <laughs> but of course, I love the
1: Crystal Skull. Um, let's get to a couple of listener uh, questions from our forum. Um, one question from Mike, who's uh, one of our newer posters. Uh, well, actually, no, he's been he's been a member since uh, January two thousand eight. So he's one of our paranormal masters. Uh, great. He's interested to know in you know how do you date these things. Um, I'll read you his entire question. As you say, the focus will be on what we know scientifically. So I'm interested in the precise nature of the test done. What instruments are used and the data gleaned? expectations, results, etc., and specifics on dating seems appropriate given the debate thus far. And uh, he's really interested in the role that science will play in this. Now, it's, is it possible to date courts? I don't think it is, no, is it?
7: No, it's an excellent question. He's, he's really approaching uh, what is the scientific base. No, uh, we cannot date courts. Uh, actually, there was a test developed in the mid-2000s in Australia to perhaps dating the age of quartz crystal. It is, it is debated. It has not been accepted. But even if you could date the age of the crystal, you cannot tell exactly when it was carved into a skull. Uh, you can't date the crystal right. that way as far as carving. There's no organic material, no way to tell. So only we can do is psychometry, and all we can do is estimate. If we know exactly when a contemporary skull is carved, of course we know it's carved in 1994. But anything that's over 100 years old would be by nature speculation, unless we have documentation. If we have documentation exactly when, uh, say, the British Museum was carved in the 1880s, it's believed, we would have a carver, you'd have documentation, I carved this skull, signed it off. We don't have that. People who have carved contemporary skulls or modern skulls, even in the last 200 years, they didn't exactly attest a document, a legalized document. I carved the skull at this date. So, and for an ancient skull, the only way to do it is how I said, how we look at it as an artifact. Determine if it's machined, if it's bilaterally sy- symmetrical or hand carved. If it's hand carved, you're going back before the use of the so-called wheel in the last 200 years to carve crystal. So it's over 200 years if it's carved by hand. How we say it's ancient again is just through the scenes we see, just through the items. uh, Nick Nocino would talk about seeing ages in the scope, actually geological ages that can be dated. We know how many millions of years ago. Uh, So each piece of crystal is millions of years old. I mean, all crystals is ancient. How it's formed is ancient. So it has ancient vibration to begin with. If it's a record keeper and has all these memories in it, if you access these memories, uh, but again, to answer the question... Science cannot give us a solid answer. We cannot date when a crystal was carved into a skull with a scientific method yet recognized. We cannot give specific information scientifically when the skulls were carved and when exactly they were used for. This only becomes through the psychometry or through the oral tradition. The traditions that are handed down through the oral wisdom keepers, which in the case of crystal skulls through the Maya and Olmec are vast. The Maya have a vast oral tradition of crystal skulls.
15: Yeah,
1: that's true. They do. My brother, who lived down there for five years, uh, mentioned uh, to me on a number of occasions the whole subject of crystal skulls coming up with some of the local uh, K'iche' Maya. I I think in the Highlands, especially, there's uh, an oral tradition there, according to uh, my brother, who lived there for a number of years. Now, we're going to go on to one of our uh, moderators, actually, uh, who's... (laughs) An open-minded, healthy skeptic, but uh, he is kind of cutting to the chase here with his question. Uh, he was embroiled in a couple of our um, our threads here, and uh, or the the main thread on these skulls. And this is Angela. After Joshua was on. This is Angelo, correct, okay. Who's uh, who's been a longtime member of the forum. Why is there so much BS surrounding the crystal skulls, i.e. the lies around the Mitchell Hedges skull? And why has nothing conclusive ever come from studying them? To my knowledge, there hasn't been double-blind tests done on the skulls, tests which seem to be simple enough to do. Now, we've already kind of covered this ground, so I just... I just wanted to uh, throw that question out there. I think that we've almost answered that. I think his next question, though, ties into the first part of his first question about the, the lies surrounding some of these skulls. And his question is, do you think the belief in crystal skulls is akin to that of religious relics?
7: Wow. wow! Why is it so much BS? Well, watch the whole uh, New Age field. I mean, it's just the nature of the modern world that if there is anything that can be exploited – and manipulated, it, it, will be. So anything that comes out of the so-called metaphysical or paranormal field that may have any validity will be, by nature of the system, exploited and made fun of or trivialized. So uh, the whole idea of tri- crystal skulls and all the literature that's been written about it, movies, even even the Indian Jones movie, Jones movie, which was great, had to bring in the ETs. Everybody has to bring in ETs around them. So it's the nature of the field. It's not just crystal skulls. Anything that comes out of the so-called new age or paranormal field that is not part of the mainstream way of thinking, the normal accepted paradigm, becomes trivialized, will become exploited. So, I mean, and and there are some of the people you've mentioned that go around talking about crystal skulls who basically just come off the top of the head and make up anything they want that sounds good. Now, I'm not making any names, but there are those people who go around, claim to be crystal skull experts, who don't have a scientific bone in their body, et cetera. Uh, the point is about double-blind tests, that's not just enough to throw that out there. He'd have to tell me what he's talking about. I mean, we set up tests where we had people psychometrized, uh, work psychometry who were not present at anybody else's test. Uh, what are we going to use? An object that's not a crystal skull and test that to see if they came up with the same information? That's trivial. Yeah, that's but you know question. what?
0: I want to ask you a question here, Stephen. What about double-blind meaning they don't know it's a crystal skull? They don't know what it is. There may be no object there at all. They're blindfolded. Do they have to visualize it? They can't do it blindfolded.
7: Can, but it seems like the, uh, the optimum uh, effect of working with it is to see it's a crystal and to touch the
0: crystal. Okay, I mean, so, you can work but you crystal could crystal also it, it. use different crystals or use a crystal you just put together in the laboratory a week earlier. Stephen Mailer is joining us. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast.
15: Local Army-Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters and chemical suits, magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof and storm matches, first aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783. 207-989-6783. Or visit Maine Military That's M-A-I-N-E, military.com, the main name in military supply.
10: If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with PrePass. Bypass way stations, fly-by port of entry facilities, stay moving at highway speed, while the guy without PrePass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888 401 PASS to try pre-pass free. That's 888 401.
3: You've heard a lot lately about Zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout. Zeo King flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke, cell phones, and chemicals so it detoxifies heavy metals, including mercury, lead, and cadmium. Zeo King Zeolite helps boost your immune system, allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites. Order your Zeo King Zeolite now from zeoking.com for only $39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order. Call 888-402-6779. That's 888-402-6779. Or visit zeoking.com, that's z-e-o-king.com, for natural elimination of radiation poisoning.
5: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
6: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
0: What about double-blind tests for crystal skulls? That question is being posed to Stephen Mailer on the PowerCast with Gene and Chris. So um, what I'm saying here is one of the things about double-blind testing is that you try to have as many checks and balances as possible. So, of course, you might have different crystal skulls, but tell the person, well, they look pretty much the same. It's the same skull. You want to see if they have real power as they change from skull to skull, or maybe it's a fake. How do you do it?
7: Good point. We have done that. We have done somebody to psychometrize a contemporary skull, and then with a supposed uh, ancient skull, and told the person there's no difference to it, and definitely different quality information that was channeled out. The contemporary skull was hardly any memory, hardly energies were seen, and if any scenes were seen, they were modern scenes. When well, we work with the Chris ancient skull, we don't tell a person it's ancient. All of a sudden, they're talking about the Maya, about ancient Egypt, about uh, Rome, Greece. Which, but you can't uh,
0: do it blindfolded.
7: There's no reason to do it blindfolded. You can do it well, Yes, there is, the because space. then you don't know
0: if there's a skull there at all. Well,
7: you, then you don't just tell the person the skull's there. You don't even show the skull. Well, you because can say there we is. An object, Fool we have an object. We have an object that's beneath the table under you. you are, you're sitting at a table. There's an object under the floor under your table. Uh, uh, see if you can get any energy from that. You don't have to blindfold anybody.
1: Okay. You could put it in a box and have it there. I bleed them into the room and say, uh, you know, let's, let's get your… Um,
7: it, it depends on the box. It's an obsidian box. It blocks the energy of crystal skull. You won't get anything. It has to be… Uh, well, just, uh,
1: just a cardboard box would be good enough for me, just something to I mean, hide the thing, you know.
7: We'll just put it on the table with a towel over it. It is an object. You don't see it? You're not told what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. That's sounds. what I said no, before. You, of you don't know that it's, it's a crystal skull. Again,
7: Nick Noserino was doing this work for 50 years, gentlemen. He found that the best way to do this scientifically was to have people touch the skull. And forget about doing a double blind. Doing it as an unknown object. The only way you can test it is by psychometry. There's no double blind
0: involved. Well, if they can touch in it space, with a blindfold on. Maybe they're not given a full opportunity to feel around it, just check its shape.
7: Well, I mean, that's possible, but... To me, that's
0: trivial. Well, I think it's the point is here is that you want to have as many checks and balances as possible. So the person who doesn't believe in, especially the traditional scientific community, that's going to say it's all nonsense. Well, the more evidence you throw in their laps that they can't dispute, the easier it's going to be to gradually accept this thing. Chris, you have more questions?
1: Well, I think we pretty much answered uh, most of the questions that were posed. I think Stephen's done a really good job of taking us to the next level and studying this very uh, enigmatic mystery. One question that I have, though, is in the last few years, I've, I've seen an uptick in um, kind of noise surrounding the whole crystal skull uh, mystery. And that is that, uh, that these are either ancient, ancient artifacts that could be thousands and thousands of years old. And I, I've heard the word Atlantis or Lemuria. Uh, bannered about. And then also you have this whole kind of emerging belief system that some of these objects are actually uh, derived from ETs or or given to humans by extraterrestrials or that they somehow are involved uh, with some sort of extraterrestrial agenda. Do we have any sort of, I mean, I I know the obvious answer to this, but uh, do we have any information that would back this up or is this just a lot of wishful thinking on the part of true believers?
7: Well, um, Uh, First of all, I'm surprised that neither one of you asked me the question about the Mayans in 2012. Uh, None of you, either one of you, asked me what do the Mayans say about them. The Mayans, Don Alejandro in particular, all the Mayans that were at our conference are going to be at our conference in in uh, November, are saying that the skulls are coming back for this reason that the end of the 2012 calendar. It's not the end of time. It is not the end of humanity. It's not destruction. They're talking about the end of a cycle, the end of consciousness. They believe that all the shamanic objects, crystal skulls, are coming, surfacing now to aid human beings in this shift of consciousness. This is the meaning why these Mayans are coming to our conferences. They're talking about the time for the tribes to wake up, come together now, and share all these objects that can help us with our consciousness growth. Yes, there are those that say, I mean, there are those, I am not, as we, you and I discussed when we were in person, I am not one of the so-called ancient aliens crowd. I'm not one of one who finds an anomaly on our planet, amazing artifact like the Sphinx, like the Great Pyramid, and said, oh, human beings could not possibly have done that, must have been done by aliens. I believe in contact. I am a part of an indigenous wisdom tradition that says we are star seeds. We're, we're not alone. You and I have talked about that. We have different opinions on that. But this idea to, to, to take away our power, to take away our history, our, our legacy, by saying all the things, we couldn't have done that, so aliens must have done it. Nonsense. I say these crystal skulls were carved by ancient peoples, highly advanced, highly spiritually, highly technologically advanced. I think a lot of the skulls I've talked about, like Max, like Shana Ra, perhaps Einstein, were carved by the Omex, perhaps 10,000 years ago.
0: Okay, so if they're carved by an ancient civilization, what happened to the ancient civilization? Now, when I raise this, bear in mind that look at our civilization, I say if it all disappeared tomorrow, a couple of thousand years down the pike, there wouldn't be much left of it to research.
7: Exactly. And that's the point of the whole meaning of why we talked about cycles. Same thing my Egyptian teacher talked about. Same thing I heard from Don Alejandro and the Mayan elders. Nothing moves in a. This whole idea of Darwinian linear evolution is one paradigm that needs to be flushed down the toilet. Nothing moves in a straight line. Everything moves in cycles. Civilizations have risen and fallen, risen and fallen, risen and fallen. We don't have physiological, archaeological evidence of civilization, but if you talk to Michael Cremo and the Vedas, they're talking about civilization being millions of years old. Okay, but right. if we so, so saying we're saying this, that we have we're no evidence. These civilizations did not disappear. They just went the same thing. We say the Sphinx was carved 54,000 years ago. Where are the people that carved it? They went just went to cycles. We went to high civilization to low civilization. We're coming back out of the dark end of the okay, cycle. Okay, so
0: what happened? Did they have some kind of nuclear war? What happened? Did they leave this planet because of changed conditions?
7: I just think they outstripped their environment. It's believed perhaps some of the Mayans yeah. just outstripped their natural environment. They had to leave their cities. The Olmec disappeared. We don't know why they disappeared. They transformed into the Maya. It's just the cycle.
0: Okay, so therefore, the, maybe the they had space. Exists. Stephen, they have Stephen. There. The
7: Stephen, calendar is the old Mac
16: calendar. A
0: Stephen, excuse G. me, Stephen, trying to get a question in choice here. Okay, so maybe, and we're just theorizing here, okay, we have the ancient civilization 40,000 years ago. Conditions get bad here, the environment's going to hell. Okay, so they say, you know what, we have space travel, let's go to Zeta Reticuli and spend our time there and maybe a couple of thousand years or 40,000 years later we'll come back and see what's going on so if E.T. exists maybe E.T. is our predecessor
7: it's quite possible my point is if uh, the idea that human is the norm so when eventually it does come down and it's on all the it's on all the television as a live meeting when they come out of the ship they're going to look like us we them we them they us I mean that's really where it is so it won't be the gray E.T. it's going to be
0: Michael Rennie and The Day the Earth Stood Still
7: that was a movie that turned me on, the first movie
0: that got me told me into the idea. I loved that movie. That was a yeah, great movie. I have people. to say this. In retrospect, if you're going to look at Day the Earth Stood Still, do not watch the Keanu Reeves version. Right. It's just a bad <laughs> movie. Right. Go and rent or stream from Netflix or whatever the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, directed by Robert Weiss, who also directed The Sound of Music, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and actually believed in UFOs
7: with Patricia Neal and yep. Billy Gray.
0: That's right. Yeah,
7: that was a great movie. <laughs> right down the Washington Mall, on to the whole UFO thing. So I think the point And by is- the way,
0: by the way, let me just give you the synchronicity. Then we'll go break for the next final yeah. portion. The synchronicity about the day the Earth stood still. Remember where Clatu is shot down by the military, seeking him out near Dupont Circle in Washington D.C. Very close to where they located the headquarters of the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP. I'm serious, folks.
7: Very good. Not too many
0: years after that movie, you see NICAP located just across from DuPont Circle. Stones throw away. Very close to where, in the movie at least, they shot down Michael Rennie before he resurrected himself Uh, in his spaceship. So there you go. Just a
1: coincidence, Gene. That's of right. course, you, you shouldn't read anything into that. Just a coincidence.
0: I'm not reading anything into it. I think if you want a cheap <laughs> office space, they happened to find the right cheap <laughs> office space because NICAP never had any money. So they had to find something. So nobody said, because I think I'm the only one who ever was crazy enough to point this out over the years, nobody suggested it was a scene in a popular science fiction movie. Stephen Mailer joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. And for one more time this week, you're in The Paracast. Paracast.
13: Is Heart and Body Extract. My
5: name is Van, and I'm 68 years old, and I live in Vermont. In the spring of 2003, I started to have problems with my heart. It felt like my heart was pounding, made me feel breathless. I tried many, many different things to try to get some help for myself. Nothing did anything.
13: Heart and Body Extract is very powerful, very effective, and works quickly.
5: I saw one of Sharon's ads and ordered Heart and Body Extract. I noticed a difference quickly within days the episodes became less frequent and by a month they completely vanished
13: usually you find a 30-day or 60-day guarantee heart and body extract comes with a lifetime 100% ironclad money-back guarantee details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 call 866-295-5305 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract
3: crossbreedholsters.com 235 years ago, our forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence to escape tyranny and oppression. Today, there is a need to reinforce that declaration. What can we do to protect our health as a nation and in our homes from those who wish to control the quality of our air and water? To find out, you need to visit airandaqua.com right now or call 612-767-2777. You will receive a free copy of our Constitution, a newsletter, and bonus items. Air and Aqua.com,
12: purify your life today.
5: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
6: You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to
4: happen next.
0: Okay. Okay. So from movies to crystal skulls to jade skulls to ancient civilizations to Atlantis, Lemuria, whatever you want to call it. Stephen Mailer joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast with Chris O'Brien as the co-host. Chris, you have some final questions to bring it on home. Well, yeah, I think, and it's important that uh, that we do talk about the
1: Maya uh, in context uh, with our conversation with Stephen today. And and Stephen, you brought up a good point that the Maya, the Maya are saying now, the modern Maya, that that some of these power objects and these these uh, trans these instruments of transformation, if you will, for lack of a better term are coming out and are somehow going to play some sort of role or part in this coming time period that we're uh, right, actually kind of in the middle of right now, and that is the end of three cycles of three different Mayan calendars. Um, I think we're going into, what, 14 Aho, I I think would be in in the the long count. Give us a little bit more of a sense of of, of what their thinking is on this. Um, So what role are these uh, objects going to play in this coming time period that we're we're now kind of going into uh, full steam here?
7: Well, that's that's great because uh, this also goes with uh, uh, what was predicted to me by my Egyptian teacher, who predicted a lot of these things over 10 years ago, which are happening now. Uh, The end of the cycle is going to be characterized by discovering things that that we thought were lost, and that my teacher, Hakeem, would say nothing is ever lost. Don Alejandro, the spiritual head of the Maya, said the exact same thing to me. I was fortunate enough to have a personal darshan with him. Um, At the time, at the end of a cycle, as we're coming to now, course is characterized by these magnificent, spectacular earth changes, the mother of tsunamis, the mother of earthquakes, the mother of of volcanoes, etc. Uh, But it also is that things are uncovered. If you look, what I do is every day I search the net to see if archaeological finds are going on around the world. Very obscure website sometimes, and it is. I mean, they have just found this incredible cache of Inca tombs. I mean, Mayan sites are being found all the time, predicted that the power objects would be found, would be uncovered again, to aid human consciousness, to aid people in the shift so that, uh, again... I would talk to all the the skeptics who are listening to us tonight, and if you can, I invite you to come to the 11-11-11 Crystal Skull Conference that will be at the Sheraton Hotel right near LAX. We're going to have a gathering of ancient skulls, a tremendous gathering of contemporary skulls. I defy anyone to step in that room and not say they cannot feel something, that they cannot feel the energy that the crystals can create, the energies among the people, the enthusiasm, and again... We had over 500 people attend a conference in New York City, 10, 10, 10. We got tons of feedback from people afterward. People saying the event changed their lives. I mean, changed their lives. It, it, the things are coming together now to raise consciousness, to make people realize that we're in this together, we are not an isolated, solitary species, we are a social species, human beings have accomplished what they have by cooperation as opposed to competition, and so that's what we're coming to now, that to understand that we're a group consciousness, we're human beings, we're all in this together, these objects, crystal skulls, whatever people find, the ancient artifacts owned by the Maya, the olmec they help people raise their consciousness to become more aware that's what the shift is. We're going to a degree now where we're going to become more conscious. That's what the Maya say. It's what the ancient Egyptians said. They're all saying the same thing. So all these objects are being uncovered now. Again, artifacts, tombs coming all around the world. We're finding ancient artifacts that are to used to help people with a shift in consciousness. That's what December 21st, 2012 represents, not the end of the world, end of a cycle, the next cycle of higher consciousness.
1: I'm tired of hearing all that end of the world talk uh, relating to the Mayan calendar. I happened to see a, a documentary on ancient civilizations on the History Channel a number of years ago, and they made the outrageous claim that the Maya were an extinct people who disappeared <laughs> in the 1300s and 1400s, uh, not realizing that the Maya are the largest group of indigenous Americans. There's like four or five, I think, million
7: Maya. Right. Right. <laughs> the, oh, the hubris. Right. But they are waiting. They, it, what's interesting is this four to five million people are listening to their elders like Don Alejandro, like, mom, like Don Pedro, who are telling them now it's time to reclaim your cities, reclaim your rituals, bring out the power objects again. Forget them, you know, let a little bit of this Spanish Catholicism start to wear away. Let's go back to our ancient healings. Let's go back to our ancient way. And that's beautiful because a lot of the Mayan youth now are suddenly getting inculcated from the elders now to get back to learning the old ways.
1: Well, do you think the Maya may have some crystal skulls that they haven't uh, allowed uh, public knowledge of? and that they're, No, they're without a
7: doubt. Like, without a doubt, like I said, we just had a, a, Mayan, a, a jade crystal skull surface that's been hiding in the Yucatan for millennia. There's other crystal skulls the Mayans are bringing out. They're claiming they're ancient. I have to see them and test them. Some of them aren't. I mean, some of them are modern. But yes, uh, to answer the question, they definitely have artifacts that they've been holding back that they're bringing out now.
1: Well, you mentioned something very uh, enigmatic when we talked uh, earlier this spring about a a crystal skull that you asked me not to mention uh, about. And I'm wondering, has there been any developments on on this particular front? Uh, Is there anything that you can talk about yet?
7: That is it. It is a jade crystal skull. The largest artifact that we've known, if you can Google this, there is a jade head. Actually, the head of a Maya, which came out of one of the tombs. Incredible. It must be 10, 10, 12 pounds of jade. It is one of the sacred artifacts in one of the museums in the Yucatan. Uh, It is now this crystal skull has come out, which is larger. Up until now, this jade head has been called the largest jade artifact ever found out of Central America. Now this crystal skull has emerged. This jade crystal skull has emerged, which is bigger than this head. And it's going to become public soon. So this is going to be the spectacular because they've... Never seen a jade skull this big.
1: Now, I've heard rumors over the years of uh, an obsidian uh, crystal skull. Have you ever heard of, uh, of a black obsidian skull?
7: Yes, uh, uh, but it would not have been a, a – p- again, there are those that say that uh, there were obsidian skulls, that Hitler and the Nazis had obsidian skulls. The obsidian skulls cannot be used. Uh, because of the nature of obsidian, it wouldn't be a very positive thing. It wouldn't be a positive stone to use. So, can they could have possibly be used for negative things. But I've never seen one. But it's interesting that obsidian, yeah. if you put a quartz crystal skull in an obsidian box, you cannot track it. Nick Nosserino used to psychically track all these skulls throughout Mexico, knew where they were moving. He used to talk about a rose quartz skull with a movable jaw, which he thinks the uh, Mitchell Hedges skull was later copied of, a modern copy. Uh, He he couldn't track it because it was kept in an obsidian box. So obsidian blocks energy and vibrations. It wouldn't be a good positive one to use.
1: Well, I could see Himmler wanting one, definitely. Himmler had one. Now, again,
7: this has surfaced. The Himmler skull has surfaced. I've seen a picture of it. From a picture, it looks like it could be modern. Again, I'd have to see it, have it tested. A Swiss journalist now has owned it. It was found in an attic of objects that were obviously from the SS. The skull like obviously had a tag on it saying it was Hitler's skull. This journalist has it. He's going to be bringing it out, but we don't know if it's legitimate or not. But it was a skull that was owned by – I mean this eventually – we now have physical proof of the rumors we had for years that the Nazis had skulls, that the SS had crystal skulls, were doing rituals with them. We now have him Skull.
0: Of course, skulls did not help them win the war. Obviously.
1: <laughs> or the, well, the, the Spear of Longinus.
7: It happens to be one of, the, one of the maxims of working in magic. If you continue to work in black magic, it will eventually bring you down. So nobody succeeds whoever uses yeah. these objects. Total for negativity. For Let's definitely. hope
1: the politicians in Washington uh, understand that concept.
7: One way or another, they're going to learn.
0: Well, we don't want them to learn the wrong way, do we? <laughs> no, please. Just learn, politicians, be careful how you use Twitter when you go about your business.
7: <laughs> I'm not going to go.
0: No, no, yeah. we won't. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to see any wieners on there. <laughs> That's a rather weenie kind of joke, isn't it? Listen, folks. All right, Stephen Mailer, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you're about.
7: I'm going to be leading a tour to Egypt, October 15th to 29th. Go to a website, body, mind, spirit, journeys, one word, dot com. Check on journeys. You'll see a whole bio of me and my work uh, uh, with doing the Crystal, the Crystal Skulls. Again, Adventures Unlimited Press. It's The Crystal Skulls, Astonishing Portals to Man's Past, with David Hatchett, this and
0: myself. Oh, Chris David's a friend of the show. Chris O'Brien, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, you can always find me at the forum.theparacast.com.
1: I'm one of the moderators. Uh, I check in daily. And also, uh, I'm revamping my website, ourstrangeplanet.com, which uh, hopefully the new uh, updated version will be available soon. But uh, until then, my my site is ourstrangeplanet.com.
0: It will still be, but it might look a little bit different. Prettier, more yes. flexible. We're working on it. Stephen Mailer, thank you so much for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thank
7: you, Gene. I enjoyed it very much.
6: The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.